Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And then for Cairo, he missed the pass, and it comes back to center ice. And now Krug right back in the zone to Cairo. Snaps a shot. Yeah, yeah, I definitely heard those. Um, I mean, it's not easy, obviously, but you know, I, I see where they're coming from you know, with how my comment sounded. So that's yeah, definitely tough. I mean, you know, I love playing here. I love playing in front of the fans. So, yeah. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That's what it sounded like last night out at Enterprise Center. It was a weird night, Alex, a weird day, frankly, for the St. Louis Blues. Jordan Cairo makes the comment early in the day. For those of you that haven't seen it yet, not sure how you haven't, but he was asked about, hey, do you have a comment on your relationship with Craig Burby? And he said, no comment. He's not my coach anymore. And they just kind of left it at that. Alex, my reaction to that was very simply what probably all of your reactions were to that. Man, you got to do better. You do. You got to do better. Alex, we've all worked with or for somebody that we didn't like. wonder who that is. Present. And when you are asked about that individual. He's a great co-host and he knows what he talks about. Sorry. You've got a canned answer, right? You've got it ready to go. I've had people that I've worked with on a show every single day that I really disliked. And I was asked about them after no longer working with them. Oh, okay. Okay. And I said, really good guy. Total pro. Had a great time working with him. Learned a lot. Did you hesitate when you said it? Because they called your BS. You you move on, right? And nobody has any follow-up questions when you just give the canned canned answer. There's, okay, cool. Must have been a decent relationship. Obviously not glowing, but decent relationship. That's all you got to do, man. But in that moment, you saw there's a few things that came out. One, very clearly didn't have a great relationship with Craig Berube. I think we all knew that. And it came out in that comment as well. Two, there's still some immaturity there with Jordan Cairo. He's 25 years old. I would expect there to be immaturity with Jordan Cairo. Man, I was 25 years old not all that long ago. T-Bone's not even there yet. Yeah. Yeah. T-Bone's still the other. Things that you Kyra learn comment. about yourself, <laughs> about the world, about the way that your words interact with others after you get to that age, right? Alex, I'm sure this happens to you. It certainly happens to me. There are times when I say something that I don't realize I have just pissed my wife off. Because I didn't mean to. I said something that I didn't think was going to have the intended effect that it ended up having. But because of the way that I said it or the timing of when I said it, whatever, it ended up having a significant impact on somebody else. And I had no idea that it was going to have that impact on them. 
I think that's what happened yesterday. I don't think Jordan Cairo had any idea that his comments were going to make that kind of waves. He should have. It was a lack of awareness on his part that he didn't know that it was going to have that kind of effect. And we saw the exact effect that it had when we got out to Enterprise or when you got out to Enterprise, Alex, last night. The booze rained down on Jordan Cairo from start to finish. And so, Alex, what did you make of that? What was your reaction as you were in the arena last night taking all of that in? Well, so so I heard the audio um, of Cairo's statement. And look, I, I, I personally believe he knew what he was saying, but he didn't understand the context of how he was saying it, if that makes sense. Like, he knew what he wanted to say. Oh, no comment. Issue. Probably. Uh, well, here, Somebody else. What the Blues could do for this, him. Well, you this, the squirt helped, this helped BK it's out true. a lot. Use a squirt bottle every once in a while. It, it, it felt like it came out to where he's like, no comment. I'm moving on. But the way it was framed for how raw the emotions were for so many Blues fans, it was taken as no comment. Bleep that guy. He's gone. Now. I can understand the emotions of Blues fans. Frankly, I was frustrated when I saw the comment. And look, Blues fans weren't just booing Jordan Cairo. Now, I know this was before the broadcast was taking place, but they played a video of Doug Armstrong, and people booed Doug Armstrong as well. Fans are upset that Craig Berube is gone, but I think more so fans are upset for the lack of discipline and play by the St. Louis Blues team. And one word that Doug Armstrong used and one word that Drew Bannister used a lot last night was accountability. And you asked, I asked the question, what does accountability mean? I think accountability is exactly what took place by Jordan Cairo last night. Jordan Cairo didn't realize the impact of what words can have for individuals. And he felt it with people booing him, not just booing him when they said his name, Every time he touched the puck and you texted me last night, BK, and said, could you remember the last time that happened? Chris Pronger was booed every single time he touched the puck when he was traded to St. Louis. Jeremy Rutherford did a phenomenal job getting cuts from him. Um, Adam Oates got booed when he demanded a trade. So words can have massive impacts or actions can have massive impacts with fans and how they view an individual. So I was surprised that the booing kept going on. I'm not going to discredit Blues fans who are passionate, but I will say this. Kairou made good on his wrongs and he stood up in that locker and I give him credit for doing that because that's not an easy thing to do with all the microphones and saying like I was wrong. 25 year old kid. You saw the emotions from it. We move past it now as Blues fans. Everybody got their point across. Jordan Cairo knows now that the jersey is a lot more important than an individual. And now you move past it because booing Jordan Cairo consistently, I don't think it does much good anymore. The point was made. Jordan Cairo now has an opportunity to grow, and that's what all of us can ask for. I didn't have any issue with the boos, honestly. Not at the beginning. I thought it was deserved. I think by the end of the game, when they were still booing him, was when it felt like... Correct. Okay. I thought it was over the top, and we'll get into that here in just a second. But at the beginning of the game, during intros, he's going out there as a starter. He's announced. He earned it. He did. I thought he said something that was silly, and I think that he made a, a big mistake that he didn't realize was a big mistake. When you have... Alex, you, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I'm not sure there are many people in St. Louis sports over the last decade that are more beloved than Craig Berube. There is a very short list of people that would be in the team photo with Craig Berube. Curb said last night, Craig Berube in five years in St. Louis reached Whitey Herzog status. 
And I absolutely agree with him. There's something about his persona, who he is, his mindset, his mentality. He had a connection with Blues fans. But it's not just him, too. It's every single player that played for him that talked about how impactful he was on their career from Alexander Steen to Jay Bowmeister all the way down to Robert Thomas when he was a rookie hearing the players say that about Craig Berube is why fans got such a close reaction with him. He almost became like a folk hero here in St. Louis because of the way that he got that team turned around who he is as a person like we hear him every week heard him every week on the fast lane and it's just man that guy was was one of us he became a blue despite this being his first real tenure with the St. Louis Blues in any meaningful way. So for all of those reasons and so many more, what Jordan Cairo said yesterday was stupid. It was immature. It was not thought out of, or not thought out. And I totally agree with you, Alex. What he said after the game yesterday to me feels like a potential turning point for him here in St. Louis. T-Bone, you mentioned this yesterday in our group chat, and I think you were you hit it exactly on the head. Yesterday should be a point that we can look back on five years from now and say, that was the moment everything changed for Jordan Cairo and St. Louis. I don't know that it will be. I think sometimes you go into work, you get yelled at by your boss, and then a week later, you're exactly the same person that you were. But that next week, I think we're going to see Jordan Cairo on his best behavior, right? So I hope that that sustains and we start to see some changes within him. I think this could end up being good for Jordan Kyrou. It was a crappy way for it to happen. Sometimes the best learned lessons don't exactly have the... They don't happen in a way that is fun for anybody that is involved, right? You gotta lose a bunch of money before you end up becoming better with your money. You've gotta break your leg before you realize, hey, I shouldn't do that stupid thing on the swing set when you're 12 years old, right? You have to learn in certain ways. And I think yesterday may have been a learning experience for Jordan Kyrou. With that being said, I can understand Blues fans' frustration of a Jordan Kyrou because this is the accountability part of it. 100%. If you don't learn from this, not so much of what you said, because look, Jordan Kyrou has never put himself in a bad situation like this before. But if, if you're going to act that way... And then you go on the ice and make those same mistakes that you were trying to correct. That's where the accountability is lost. And that's where blues fans get back to the frustration and, and to the Craig Berube point. They loved him because of the work ethic. They loved him because of that, that blue collar mentality. And I think that's why Jordan Cairo is such a polarizing figure because he's not that Craig Berube style. They bashed heads against each yeah. other. Jordan Kyra doesn't have to be become this this hard worker. He doesn't have to become an Alexander Steen for his career to be successful in St. Louis. Jordan Kyra goes out and scores two goals tomorrow night. People are going to be cheering for him. It's not going to be booze anymore. But this is on Kyra now, and this is what Drew Bannister said last night. Nobody's going to hold his hand through this whole process. This is going to be on Jordan Kyra recognizing what happened, how to be better from it, recognizing that it's not about an I or a me. It's about a we now with the team. But it's also about taking and figuring out who you are in the NHL and making that your profile. Because if you don't, if you sit there and, oh, well, it's not working out for me and I need to be better, blah, blah, blah. 
It's not going to matter for you because the city knows exactly who they want to cheer for. And that's your opportunity to take what happened over these last 48 hours and jump off into the person you're supposed to be. So he had a really interesting press conference last night as he was made available to the media. He made himself available to the media. And I think that is an important thing to add on to here as well. He was publicly accountable for the things that he said earlier in the day. There's that accountability that you're talking about, Alex. I want to play a few of these. Because I think that it is important that if we're going to talk about his comment from earlier, we also mention some of the things that he said after the game as well. He was asked about if he can overcome what took place during the game yesterday when he was booed by the fans and recapture the love of this St. Louis fan base. Here was his response to that. Like I said, I just want to focus on my future and focus on, you know, trying to be a more complete player and, you know, what I can do to help the team win, right? So, yeah, that's just my goal right now. He then continued. Why are you so emotional right now? We all know, but you got to find out in his own words right. why he was emotional. I mean, it's just tough, right? Like, you know, I love playing here, so it's just it's tough to hear the fans booing me there. Sorry. I hate pe- pe- hearing people cry, man. I get cringy. It is, and it's really uncomfortable. I think it was good for everybody. I do. Like, I know this is a weird thing. Like, I'm not trying to be paternalistic. I promise you. I promise you. And it feels that way sometimes. But this is like that first breakup, T-Bone, when you cry and you cry and you realize, you know what? There's there's another there's another person. out Somebody there on the text line said, happened. guys, the fans had held Jordan Cairo accountable last night and clearly it got through to him. Agreed. Agreed. I think he maybe for the first time. It sunk into him what everybody's been saying. Somebody else on the text line said, guys, the best lessons are learned, not taught. Agreed. I think he has been having this thing hammered into his head for years by Craig Berube of what specifically he's looking for. And it took a comment. That was a symptom, really. Not the root cause. Like, yesterday was... That had been growing for Blues fans with Jordan Cairo for, like, two and a half years, really. I think yesterday was all of that coming to a head. And finally, Blues fans has had enough, and Jordan Cairo got the message. Message received. Now we get to find out if he actually implements it into his game. I also thought today there was a really good moment on the morning show from Robert Thomas, man. This is the kind of thing that you're looking for from a leader when asked by the media, hey, that was a really crappy thing that happened last night with your teammate. He caused it in a lot of ways. What was your reaction to that? Where are you at right now with uh, Jordan Cairo? Here was Robert Thomas earlier today on the opening drive. I mean, to be honest, it sucks. Um, you know, I've known Jordan for a while. I know, you know how well he means. I don't know. You know how much he loves St. Louis, how much he loves playing here, and and how much he wants to win. Um, I think that's something. You know, people see people see what people want them to see. If that makes any sense in in regards to kind of media and and all that stuff. And you know, behind the scenes, I can tell you how much he wants to win and how much he wants um, to help his teammates and and all that stuff. Um, you know, I feel bad for Jr. too. I know he takes it to heart. Um, I think just it was a little bit out of context and, um, you know, JR is, you know, one of the best reporters and someone everyone respects in the room. And I know both of them kind of just feel bad for, for how the situation went down. And I was happy Jordan got to kind of clarify what he, what he really meant and um, you know, show his emotions and, and, you know, how much, how much he loves being in St. Louis. So 
Um, I hope we can all just kind of move forward from it. That's where I'm at, too. I'm so glad Robert Thomas said that on both sides of it. First of all, with the Jordan Cairo thing, and we're seeing the text on the Air Comfort Service text line of, no way, nobody should stop booing. Look, you've moved past this. Now you have to move past this now, because if you keep booing Jordan Cairo for the next five seasons, as much as you'd like to think that, oh, that's going to show him, it's just going to stunt the growth of a young player that you're hoping can become a franchise that was it. player. It needs to end now. Yeah. St. Louis, we're better, we're, like you're better than what is going to, if Saturday that continues, then we'll come on the air and that'll be, that'll be super disheartening for everybody. Because but he should get a good ovation on Saturday after what he did after the game. Not because you're like thrilled or anything, but because he deserved it. He because earned what he got last night. He earned on Saturday that he's now a part of your team, and now we move forward Because together. if we're going to issue on a guy for, for making a statement, then you need to applaud the guy to be able to stand up in front of cameras and make good on the statement that he made. Whether you think it's real or fake, it doesn't matter. He stood up there, and he said what he said. And I also appreciate the Robert Thomas side of it, too, talking about Jeremy Rutherford, because I sit next to JR last night, and the man felt awful. Because not only did he put a quote out there that was just a quote from Jordan Cairo, but it turned into the entire stadium booing him so look both sides got to a point where they 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 recognized something that probably shouldn't have happened but regardless fans let him know and fans deserve to be able to put their feelings out there but it's the fork in the road moment for jordan Cairo. you go the opposite direction the same can be said about blues fans this is going in one direction or another fork in the road moment last night we'll see which direction it ends up going we could look back on that five years from now and say that was the moment that it all ended for jordan Cairo in st louis we could say five years from now that was the moment that jordan Cairo finally figured it out and he, he had some sort of maturity afterwards. Like, that's going to be in some way, shape, or form the moment that we look back on as a turning point for Jordan Kyrou. I don't know what direction it's going to go, but I hope that it goes in a positive direction from here and he learns from what took place yesterday. And I hope St. Louis fans are willing to embrace him if he does learn from that. He's Alex. That's T-Bone on BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Bruce Boudreaux, former NHL head coach, want to get his thoughts on what he would do if he was the head coach in a situation like that last night. How do you embrace, put your arms around a player like Jordan Kyrou after dealing with such a difficult situation? We'll get into that with Bruce Boudreaux coming up at 1130 but next how much are you believing what you saw yesterday because alex credit where it's due the blues responded now what we'll talk about it next here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn T-Bone on BK. Last thing we said yesterday was, I wonder what the response is going to look like tonight. We all wondered, like, are they going to have it? Because the last two teams that fired their head coaches in season, they both had a significant response. You saw it from Edmonton. You saw it from Minnesota. And it showed up for the first time in that first game post-firing. But it then continued for a little while. Both of those teams have gone on a run since firing their respective head coaches. Is that something that we thought could happen here in St. Louis? Well, at least for one night it did. And Alex, I have no idea how sustainable this is, but last night we saw the response. That first period, whoo, buddy, that might have been the best that I've seen the Blues play in any individual period in terms of their all-around game all season long. They allowed exactly zero high-danger chances against in the first period. Alex, you know when the last time that happened for the Blues was? 2019. The very first period of the first game of the season. That was a good game. So the first game, first period, up until the first period of yesterday, there was not a single individual period at five on five in which the Blues allowed zero high danger chances against. And then it happened in their response game. So credit where it is due. They did have a response last night. Are you buying it, though? 
Do you think this is something that they can sustain over a longer period of time? I'm not, and it has nothing to do with the team or Drew Bannister. It's just this was that honeymoon phase of you fire a coach and you get your best out of your players because they know all eyes are focused on you. The scapegoat is gone. Edmonton went on an eight-game win streak and just lost last night after they fired their coach. John Hines and the Minnesota Wild won six of their last eight games when he took over as the head coach. This is what you get. You get that spark when a team wins. I looked it up. Going back the last 10 years, teams have only lost three times when they fire a coach and the next coach takes over in the middle of a season. So this is the adrenaline you get. I'll say the blues were awesome in terms of winning puck battles in that first period. They woke up and they said, we've got to be more aggressive, more physical as Doug Armstrong and Drew Bannister talked about. And Mike Kelly of NHL network, who does analytics for them, they won 61% of the puck battles compared to 25% against the Detroit Red Wings. That was a different element right there. They were getting a lot of shots on goal. That was a different element. They had sustained offensive zone time. That was much different than what we've seen all season. But I don't think this was Drew Bannister took over and he brought the I think this was a, a team that realized they they their play got a Stanley Cup caliber coach fired and they needed a response and they took advantage of a team that's on the same level as them. I'm not buying it. I, I, I think I think it was one of those where they they're going to come out and they're going to play probably for the next five games and in inspirational hockey because of what you just said. They need to come out and they need to show up and they really needed to show up last night because of the perfect storm you've. Coming first game into a, where there is no more Craig Brewery and there's an interim head coach, and on top of Kyrie getting rained down with booze, they lose that game last night. This is seriously a disaster that is starting to snowball on the Blues. I think they're going to play motivation to hockey. I think you're going to see inspired hockey for probably the next five, ten games. But I just look at the roster, and I, I just don't know if I can buy in. I, I mean, Army made a comment at the press conference the other day about, you know, I'm something along the lines of I'm not sure what our record is, but it could be something like this. I think they're like a 500 hockey team. Yeah, and I don't a 500 think it, hockey none team, of the conversation we're having right now is about the record yeah, for I, what it's worth. No, like it's I, the play. It's about the performance I, and the way that they play. I think they're still going to play inconsistent hockey because that's what they've shown all year. And I don't think a new head coach can change that from this team. I don't know. I'm curious to find out. Like, I, I don't know. I think their record is what it is. I think their their talent matches what their record is. They're a 500 team. That's who they are. That's what they should be, frankly. I think they were a little fortunate, based on their performance on the ice, to have as, a, a record as good as they did earlier no, this they year. They got a guy in between the pipes that put exactly. them in the position that they were yeah. in. So I, I think that they were fortunate earlier this year that Bennington was on their side. Now it becomes a question of, like, can you become the team that you were in the first period more often? Can you avoid those individual periods where you're allowing two, three, four goals in a six, seven, eight minute stretch? If you can, well, you can be a 500 team that we actually enjoy watching, but the 500 team that they were previously was not fun to watch. It was a bad product. Most nights on the ice and their worst version of themselves was one of the worst teams in the NHL. That's what you've got to avoid. If you can avoid that, I, I can respect a team that's in a retool that ends up at 500 at the end of the year that played hard and they just kind of let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of respect for a team that goes out there, doesn't play hard, and because they've got a badass goalie in that, they end up with a 500 record. That doesn't do much for yeah, me. Yeah, well, and for people that are going to be you know wondering, like, when does that Bannister emphasis take over? Uh, you're going to look into about two weeks before you start to see Drew Bannister implementing certain things. He even said it last night. Steve Ott said it last night on postgame with us that, you know, th- there's not much changes that took place in terms of what Barubi did to right. what Bannister took over. That's going to be watching 
watching and and evaluating over the next couple of games. And then when Drew Bannister feels like there's changes to be made, he will. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything Sports or Otherwise. But coming up next, we've got some questions for Bruce Boudreaux, former NHL head coach, now with the NHL Network. How would he handle a locker room after a night like last night where one of your star players gets booed by the home crowd? We'll ask Bruce next here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are very happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by former NHL head coach, now NHL network analyst, Bruce Boudreaux. He won the Jack Adams Award back in 2007 for the best coach in the NHL. We always appreciate his time here on BK and Ferrario. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start out with the big news here in St. Louis that took place a couple of days ago. Uh, the team announcing that Craig Berube would be out as head coach here in St. Louis. What was your reaction when you saw that news? Well, I, I mean, I just, I always hate it when coaches get fired and uh, I try to look for reasons. Uh, and in this case, I just think that, you know, every coach has a shelf life. And uh, um, I mean, he was there four and a half years, I think. And, and I think maybe the message was just getting old and, and they wanted to, and, Doug wanted to try something new. I think uh, Craig will get another job quickly if he wants one. And um, but and it doesn't have anything to do whether he's a bad coach or a good coach. I just think probably the message wasn't getting through uh, as well as the, um, Doug had anticipated it that it would. Bruce, explain this to me because I, I am confused by it. It seems like it's a hockey thing in general. I don't know if it's a, a modern hockey thing or if this has always been the case, but why is it that this message runs stale? We see in the NFL, you've got coaches that can last 10, 15, 20 years within an individual team. Why is it in the NHL in particular that a message can just seemingly stop resonating with players so quickly? I have no idea, yeah, or, I, or I'd probably still be working. Uh, I, I've, I've lasted three places exactly four and a half years, and uh, and I don't know if it's you know the message might not be getting stale to the to the players. It might be getting stale to management. Who uh, who knows? But uh, in the end, I think NHL teams, bottom line. 
they expect to, to go out there and win all the time. And uh, when you're not winning, somebody has to go. And in this case, uh, St. Louis wasn't winning to the, the way um, management liked it. And uh, that's why they, they made the change. I think they th- think they're better than maybe what they really are and uh, anticipated or uh, better results. Uh, it's tough to know exactly what goes on behind um, closed doors when you're coming to make these changes. But I will say this. I'm sure that the, the changes aren't made um, just, you know, hey, uh, we got to make a change. We're not doing well type thing. There's a lot of thought that goes into it, and I'm sure Doug, uh, this was the last thing that he wanted to do, but he thought, you know, I've always been told that the, you have to make the tough decisions even though you don't like to make them. And and this was a case where I think he didn't want to make the decision, but he thought for the team and the organization he had to. So, so Bruce, you mentioned that the team just wasn't playing up to the expectations or they weren't playing winning hockey. You've, you've watched enough of them being a part of the NHL Network analyst crew. Why is it that you feel like this team hasn't been playing up to that level that they expected? Well, I don't know why, but I mean, there's games they win five, six, nothing, and look like world beaters. And the St. Louis Blues, in all my tenure in the NHL, has always been one of the upper echelon teams that you knew you were getting into a battle with them. You knew you were, it was going to be a man's game and it was going to be tough to play. And I mean, but I just think that they went too many games this year where they'd win three or four in a row and then lose four or five in a row. So, I mean, I don't know uh, what what the problem was, but consistency wasn't the, their best thing. And I think if they get consistent, uh, they've got the personnel that makes, I think, that they can win. Uh, they still got a Stanley Cup goaltender. They still got um, some good pieces on defense, and they certainly have some good forwards. So, I mean, uh, when I look at the roster, I'm going, the inconsistency shouldn't be there. Bruce Boudreaux is our guest here on 101 ESPN, former NHL head coach, now with the NHL Network. He joins us on behalf of them, and we always enjoy being able to catch up with Bruce. Uh, Bruce, there was a situation last night here in St. Louis. I don't know how much you were able to follow it, but just to give you kind of the context, Jordan Cairo was asked earlier in the day about his comment on his relationship with Craig Berube because it had been openly speculated here in St. Louis they did not have the greatest relationship. His response to that question was, no comment. He's not my head coach anymore. During the game, prior to the game, fans here in St. Louis booed him. And then as the game progressed, anytime that he would touch the puck, he was booed here in St. Louis. And after the game, he was asked about his response to that and got very emotional and talked about how it really got to him during the game. Bruce, if you were in a spot where you were the head coach of Jordan Cairo after that game, what do you do? How do you make sure that that is a moment that you take it and you grow from it as opposed to something that could potentially have some kind of a negative effect on a player's confidence. You mean if I was the coach of the present day St. Louis Blues? Yeah, and, if you were and coaching Jordan Cairo. Yeah. I mean, I would uh, uh, probably just put my arm around him and tell him, hey, you're a really good player. These things happen. It'll It'll die down. Don't let it bother you. I mean, we want to, you know, this will bring the best out of you. And uh, and everybody here believes in you, so just uh, keep going, okay? And don't say anything to the press anymore for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had a situation like that before, Bruce, where one of your players was booed by the home crowd? 
Not really. Not that I remember. Um, I remember the whole team being booed when you're not playing well. But, I mean, uh, I don't remember individuals uh, being booed or I care not to remember about that. Uh, block it out. Uh, sure. Uh, but if it's, if it's happened, I think I would – I would definitely uh, deal with the player themselves and and see how it affected them and, and go from there. Bruce, obviously you, you've been around the league plenty. You've seen from, you know, junior players coming into the NHL and jumping right into it and other guys having to groom and make their way through the American Hockey League, East Coast Hockey League. Do you feel like this age is, is different with the younger players kind of stepping into the NHL than what it was in the past? And, and what's the best way to go about handling it? Oh, hockey is definitely different. Uh, the way you handle it uh, uh, a generation ago and, and when I was playing even further back. And, uh, you know, it's now, I mean, they want the, they want the answers. You just can't tell uh, young players what to do. They want to know why. They, you know, I mean, you can tell them uh, that they did something wrong on the bench and they'll go right to the iPad and they'll sit there and they'll say, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> the right thing to do. And so, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's you've got to really, when you're talking to them, uh, uh, A, be right, and B, uh, be able to explain in, in to them why you're doing it. I mean, uh, back in the day, a coach would say something and you did it, uh, you did what they, uh, what was asked of them, um, without thinking or without even having, uh, you know, a, a talk back section session nowadays, uh, I think they want to, they want to know why I'm doing this or why am I not on the power play or why am I not getting enough ice time? So there's a lot of, that's the biggest difference with the young players coming up. I find Bruce, final one from me. You've had experience in this plenty of times in your career of taking over a team mid-season when their head coach is fired. Drew Bannister steps into that role now. What's the what's the the toughest part of stepping in mid-season and trying to take over a team that's been struggling? Well, I've been in the exact same position Drew's been in, and and uh, my first thought was to just you know uh, I'm an interim coach. I'll just you know uh, use my personality and go along with what they're doing. And then I changed my mind and said, forget it. I'm just changing everything to the way I do it. And, and let's see how, how good it goes. And, um, it, you know, I mean, you may not, you might have a long career, uh, behind the St. Louis bench, or you might have a short career, but I'm going to, I would do it my way and, uh, and use my personality. And if it works great, if it doesn't work well, I gave it my best shot right there. As an interim coach, Bruce, do you have to prepare for that honeymoon period of the team? You know, having that extra, that extra jump in their step because a coach was fired as an interim. I I think you, you treat it as if um, uh, you're going to be there forever. I mean, you never know uh, what's going to, I know when I first got the Washington job, George said, uh, I want you to coach here uh, and be here for the next 10 years. And uh, uh, even if, and I had the interim tag, uh, even if it was only meant to be the weekend. But I mean, when you start winning, it's amazing. Uh, and if St. Louis goes on a little bit of a run, he'll keep getting a larger uh, shelf life. And if the, the players are responding to him, there's no need to go to somebody else. So he, he should be doing what he does uh, because the, if he's if he does what other people want him to do, he's still going to potentially get let go. So you may as well do it the way you want to do it. 
and see where it takes. Bruce, I heard your segment with Elliot Friedman on NHL Network earlier this week, and he gave you all the credit for asking the question that you did. So I've got to do the same in my position here in St. Louis out of curiosity uh, and due diligence. Are, are you interested in getting back into coaching? Is that something that you still have the itch for? Yes, uh, very much so. And, uh, um, you know, I, I actually over the Christmas holidays, there is, I will be coaching a team, but uh, but I can't say where or who right now. But uh, uh, I I've always thought that I've still got a lot left. I want to get back into it. I hope I'm good enough that somebody takes a chance on me. And one quick follow up: If you were approached by the Blues, is this a job that you would have interest in? Oh well, you know, I mean, I wouldn't turn down any job uh, from anybody right now. I mean, I'm not. I'm not vying for the job here, by the way. I'm, I sure. haven't phoned anybody, but uh, uh, I want to coach again. Uh, I still think I have the hunger and the, and the, the ability. So uh, if anybody calls, I would listen. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate your perspective on all of the things that have been taking place here in St. Louis. We wish you nothing but the best. Have a happy holidays and good luck wherever it is that you're going to be coaching over the holiday season, my friend. All righty, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bruce. That's Bruce Boudreaux joining us here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time as always. Former NHL head coach, coach Jack Adams, award winner, and now with the NHL Network. He joined us today on behalf of the NHL Network. I, I, I know everybody is going to be like, oh, where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? I could, I we know. It's been reported. No, it's, it's, not, it's not here, but I, I think where it's he's... It's the juniors hockey tournament for Team Canada. Yeah, that's going to be one of them, absolutely. But I can also wonder if uh, an NHL team that the Blues just played last night might be looking at a head coach that can get I don't think discipline. that's what he's talking about for what it's No, it's not, he's, he's talking not talking about, about juniors. He's going to be talking... He's gonna be yeah. potentially coaching I, world juniors. Yeah, that's exactly what he's talking I had the about. Same thought too, though. Was like, ah, I could see Ottawa, <laughs> Ottawa being the team that's like they called him up afterwards. Be like, Bruce, 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 are you free? He's but going yeah. from Team Canada <laughs> to Ottawa to, to another Team Canada. But yes, he's talking about going to coach. Jeff Merrick reported that what Wednesday right. that it sounds like he's going to be the head coach of Team Canada at the World Juniors. So that's what he's talking about. But look, Bruce Boudreau is a guy that will be back in the NHL at some point. He's coached over a thousand games. He's made it to the the conference final with the Anaheim Ducks. He made it nearly to the conference final with the Washington Capitals. I mean, he's had success everywhere he's been other than Vancouver, and he was in Vancouver for almost exactly yeah. a calendar year. He's the type of coach didn't work. that a team that needs discipline with their roster, that feels like they are a Stanley Cup caliber team, calls up Bruce Boudreaux and says, bring us there. Right you, here. you heard what I said at the end, the Stanley Cup caliber team. Yeah, I did. <laughs> one game of Drew Bannister. If that's the case, the Drew Bannister needs this job the rest Man, of the way. The last are. time the Blues fired a coach midseason and won a cup. Yeah, you well, get ready hopium. for the second version of that. Drew Bannister. With Bruce Boudreaux. No, in all seriousness, um, I did enjoy his perspective on what, what's gone wrong with the Blues right now. And especially if you're a coach, what do you do with Jordan Kyrie? You, you put your arm around him, man. Yeah, it's and not I, every coach I does. I fully anticipate that is what Bannister is going to do. He talked about that after the game last night where he's like, hey, listen. Jordan Cairo is going through it right now. He was open and honest about it, and I appreciated that perspective from Bannister where he's like, hey, he's not playing his best hockey. He knows that. You know that. Everybody knows it. Everybody can see it on the ice. And so he's fighting it, and he's trying to get back to the game that he's ultimately had for a good amount of his time here in St. Louis. 
It's a matter of time. And when you have a night like that, I fully anticipate Robert Thomas said it earlier today. His teammates are going to have his back. And I hope that it's a time for all of them to grow together a, a lot um, because they very clearly was something that was a little bit fractured at times over the past couple of seasons. So hopefully they can use that as a rallying cry more so than something that will ultimately pull them apart. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that he talked about was the message getting stale for teams. And and it's a, it's a comment that always frustrates me because the, the message shouldn't get stale. If you have a guy who's got a winning pedigree, the message is so weird to me, dude, the message doesn't get stale. John Cooper has been with Tampa Bay for plenty of years. The message doesn't get stale with Jared Bednar, what they got at Colorado. The message gets stale when you transition away from the leadership core that's See, in a room. I, I don't know that I agree with that. I think the message gets stale for like, I think the exception is the two teams that you just mentioned. The norm is the other like 25 teams in the NHL that are rehashing the same 17 coaches every single season on like three year cycle periods. And, but a lot of those teams, it's crazy a lot me. of those teams are the middling teams that don't go the anywhere. Blues do it, man. The Blues have had what five coaches now under Doug Armstrong. Yeah. The Blues have done this. Yeah, like but look at the consistent team... stretches that they've had. It's been Baruby and Ken Hitchcock with other guys only lasting about a year or two. I mean, Baruby basically had a three-year run where it went well here. That's it. Still here for it, five years. Agreed. Yeah, but, but the like, last there's a lot of talk seasons, he should have been out last year. It did yeah, not he, go well. Uh, from the outside noise of being well, no, out I, here. I, I, think, I think there's something to this of yeah. there is a... I, I don't know why. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I think it's laughable, frankly. But I think there is, for whatever reason, some kind of a timeline on when coaches wear out their welcome in NHL locker rooms. And, and I, I, I don't understand. And I my, think it's ridiculous. And my stance is and always will be then that's a that's a locker room and a roster problem than a coach problem. But I think it's a roster problem for so many different teams that it's hard for me to say that it's specific to any one individual locker room. Like it happens all over oh, in the NHL, dude. I, 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 Vegas had this happen. Like every team even with really good leadership, seemingly just churns through coaches every three to five years. Every single one of them. I I, I just I look at the really good teams and those are the coaches that last a really I mean, it took up until Bruce Cassidy, what was that, two years ago for that message? And that message was not getting stale for 10-plus years with Bruce Cassidy there. I mean, Joel Quinville lasted as long as he did with Chicago. The message didn't get stale. Uh, Again, these are the exceptions, though, with historically great runs. The exceptions, though, are also the top coaches that that are viewed in the National Hockey League. I can promise you the one when the message gets stale. Also, Bruce Cassidy had a five-year shelf life in Boston. It was five years. When the message gets stale for a guy like a John Cooper and a Jared Bednar, it's going to be because... The, the leadership core has transitioned out from that team and they've had to bring in new groups. It's not because of the same team that's been winning just decides not to listen yeah, to John age. Cooper. Like, yeah, if he, if you last in a job for 10 years, then the likelihood is you're going to start to get rid but what of I'm saying of, is the reason the we've got to this point with, with Baruby is because they fizzled out that leadership group faster than it probably needed to be. See, I don't know. I think this was probably the likely scenario, no matter who was still here. I, I think that you were going to see this come to an, whether it was today Whether it was a year from now, I think there was very likely going to come a point in time in the foreseeable future where the time for Craig Berube ran out. And I, again, I think that's ridiculous. I think it is so stupid the way that the NHL churns through these coaches and that players just "Mm, tune them out. No longer interested in hearing what you have to say. I'm not playing hard for you any longer. They did it for Ken Hitchcock, dude. Ken Hitchcock, a Hall of Fame head coach. They just flat out stopped playing hard. He had to have multiple. Locations. They did it. I for, can't believe but it. They did it for Ken Hitchcock when David Backus was gone. 
because that, that was, was while the, he was here too. No, they, but Backus was gone in free agency, and the next year Ken Hitchcock lost the right. room. But the year prior, there was already talk of this team tuning the out. The year Ken prior, Hitchcock. they got to the conference final. I understand, and I'm telling you, there was talk about them tuning out Ken well, Hitchcock. I'm telling you that there wasn't though. Okay, when Backus left, that's when it happened. Okay. I mean, it was building because why else do you bring in Mike Yell prior to that that season? Because you knew that the message was starting to get stale. And, like, I know that they were, it was Hitchcock was going to retire. Guys, he didn't retire. He went to Edmonton not too long after that. It was the message getting stale. we got to have somebody ready to take over. And that's why they brought Mike Yell on. It is crazy to me how these teams just chew him up and spit him out. And they're good coaches. It's the same good coaches that continue to win in the league. And I think Craig Berube is going to be one of them. I think he's going to go to another team at some point, and he's going to have a whole hell of a lot of success. For three years, and then he'll be gone. Absolutely. Yeah. He'll get fired again because his team will tune him out, and then he'll go somewhere else and probably have success there as well because he's a good coach. Bruce Cassidy, good coach. Uh, Pete DeBoer, good coach. These guys that have success in the league don't do it for no reason. They go in, they implement their system. It has a bunch of success for a three- to four-year stretch, and then it goes stale, and then they get the next guy. And it just continues to happen over and over and, and over and the, again. And the warning sign for the players should always be like, all right, now I'm going to quit listening to Coach. Uh, the grass isn't always greener. Just ask what happened in Philadelphia. Well, they've got John Tortorella <laughs> yeah. up there now. Well, 3-1-4, winning, though. 3 nine, nine. For now. For now. <laughs> we know how this goes, too. And, and we know how much well, they really don't he's like a pro- him. He's, he's a pro- it. He's, he's a prototypical. Yeah, players are like, yeah, bleep this guy. We're out. He's still got the Daryl Sutter uh, mindset of the, uh, the making players feel miserable at times. Ask us anything next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six is the air cover service text line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start with this because it is a bit of, a, of news. Mark Feinsand of MLB.com is reporting Yuki Matsui, a five-time NPB All-Star left-handed reliever, visited the Cardinals on Thursday. He is 28 years old. He has 236 career saves and a 2.4 ERA over in the NPB. According to Feinstein, he's considered to be one of the better free agent bullpen options. Guys, let's start with this question. Uh, What do you think of Yuki Matsui as an option for the Cardinals coming out of the pin? Lefty, 5'8", a buck 65. Do we really really need another lefty? T-bone size. Tinier than T-bone. Are you 5'8"? Yeah, I am 5'8". Are you, uh, 65. <laughs> On a good day. What I haven't eaten for 24 hours. <laughs> if I was fasting, yes. I mean, fine, but like, do you need another lefty? And, and maybe he's great and it doesn't matter. Righty lefty, he's got the swing and miss stuff, but feel Who's like the good lefty that you are like certain of what they're going to give you next none year. None of them, but I'm not certain this guy gives you anything this year. Really? Oh, I feel yeah. pretty good about it. I mean, yeah, you've, I mean you've, had su- you've had success in the past with this, absolutely. So I can't deny that. But I feel like now they're projecting these guys pretty well. Five eight, a buck sixty five. You comfortable with that? I mean, Yamamoto is like five nine, and people are giving him three hundred million dollars. So yeah, I feel pretty good about it for a guy that I'm going to give five million bucks to, maybe seven it's million bucks. Better than the other options out there, that's for sure. Yeah. If that's the range that you're looking at for, and I, I don't know, I don't, I have no idea this what his market's so going to be. A five year deal, and I'm going to go what the. <laughs> Um, if that's the market that you're looking at here, I'm, I'm fine with it. Get him in here, put him in that range with like JoJo, see what works. I think it potentially frees you up to have one of Zach Thompson or Matthew Libertor in the 
in the minors this year. And that might be their thinking is, hey, now one of those two guys is our sixth starter. And that makes us feel better about the depth of the rotation going into 2024. Yeah, that'd be my biggest thought on it. I, I'm, The one part that it, to me is like, this is the least surprising Cardinals news that I would expect on December 15th. Um, but I mean, he's interesting. He's got swing and miss stuff, at least over in the MPB and or in the Japanese league, excuse me. Uh, I, I'm fine with it. Bring him in. He should be one of two bullpen additions that are high leverage arms potentially, but I'm kind of with Alex. Like, I get it. Like, who do you trust from the left side? Man, they got a ton of left-handed options. Like, let's go get some righties that got some swing and miss because the righties that I trust right now. What if they do both? What if this is one right, of well, then two options? That's fine. Options. I, then I'm happy, okay? But, you know, I, I'm, a little skept- I'm, I'm a little skeptical about the Cardinals and what they're doing the rest of the season. Show me the season. baby. Don't tell me you're pregnant. What? Don't say? tell me about the labor. You were close, man. You were right there. Same thing. Yeah, why not? And, and to me, like, this, this Cardinals move, I... I, I don't know. I, It's an interesting move of what they're trying to do and bringing him in and hopefully throwing him into the back end there. But again, I, I just think that they have left-handed options. I, I would be more in on bringing in a right-handed arm. So I'm a little surprised. And I thought there was a quote from Mo not that long ago about him saying they didn't need a left-hander. And, and I, here they I are. I think what they're doing is they're going to bring in two relievers. And also, it's worth noting, they have not signed him. Um, this is a Or visit. they're going to tell Yuki, like, hey, we want to sign you, <laughs> but you're a righty. Chance. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 636, guys, who of the three of you is the best pickleball player? And would any of you be able to take on Brooke? Uh, I would nominate T-Bone, and I think it would be an interesting yeah. contest. I think Brooke would beat him, but it would be close. I don't like pickleball, so I would. I suck. <laughs> I'll put my money on T-Bone, though. Thanks, you man. Mm-hmm. And that's a friend, you know? That's a friend that's going to have I'll, confidence in you. I'll back my guy. I'll man. put money on him. You would not do the Bruce Boudreaux. You would just tell Kyra to go fend for himself. Yeah, Unbelievable. Figure it out, man. Unbelievable. Go be better. Don't yeah, say I, stuff that T-Bone people got are going to get mad about. a scholarship to JUCO yeah. for tennis. I, I think Brooke also got a scholarship for tennis. Didn't I think she went to D1. I didn't have an attitude. She went to Middle Tennessee, right? It's like that's... It's D1, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. Well, that's I mean, it's still Lewis and Clark, but... Not JUCO. Yeah, and Okay, there was the attitude. <laughs> He's Alex. That's I changed my bet, actually. Hey, speaking oh. of pickleball, join Kerber of and 101 ESPN. I think, uh, from what I understand, I'm, I'm pretty sure Brooke is also going to be there. But this Sunday, definitely Chris Kerber at this the new awkward. Chicken and Pickle in St. Charles. It's their first pickleball tournament ever. It's an ugly sweater tournament. You can check them out from 11 to 1. That is when Chris Kerber will be there out at Chicken and Pickle Sunday in St. Charles. Get more information at 101 ESPN.com. Hey, come on up in about 10 minutes or so. We'll talk to Mike Rupp, former NHL forward. Want to ask him what he thought of the Blues fans booing Jordan Cairo last night. Also the decision to fire Craig Burby. I don't think he thought it was a great decision considering what I heard from him yesterday on NHL Network. So we'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But next, the Cardinals certainly learned a lesson from their 2023 season, Alex. But after reading Katie Wu's piece earlier today, not so sure that it was the right one. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up here in just a little bit, we'll be joined by Mike Rupp, former NHL forward. He's going to join the show. He was on NHL Network yesterday and basically said, yeah, I don't know what the Blues expected. 
They're not a very good roster. I don't know why you're firing a good coach. So we'll get into that with him coming up here in just a little bit. But Alex, there was a really good piece on The Athletic earlier today from Cardinals Insider for The Athletic and 101 ESPN, our own, our friend Katie Wu. And she was able to speak exclusively with John Mosellock about the process that led them to Sonny Gray. And I think there's a lot in here, Alex, and people should go and read the full piece over on The Athletic. But a few of the takeaways that I had, maybe the most important one, was the timing of it all. John Mosellock makes it clear in discussing this with uh, Katie Wu that their first priority was figuring out the innings at the back end of the rotation. And then they could decide, OK, what do we do at the front end after that? And that was almost like. Timing be damned, if we end up missing out on people, so be it. But we got to get these innings in here first. And when I read that, I thought to myself, man, they are really freaking lucky that Sonny Gray was willing to wait for them. Because if Sonny Gray had signed, I don't know where they were going to turn their attention to. And I think there were a lot more options for the back end of their rotation than there were at the front end of their rotation, given what the money is that they were clearly willing to spend this offseason. So... I think the lesson that they learned from the 2023 season was, man, innings are super important from your rotation. And that's a fair lesson to be learned. I just think they applied it to the offseason in a way that was very risky. And they got lucky as hell that the guy that they wanted also wanted to be here. Well, and I mean, I'm looking at all of the guys who are free agents still along Major League Baseball. And I'm looking at a ton of guys that you could have gotten innings for for the amount of money you paid Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. today signed with the Royals on a two-year deal worth $32 million where year two was a player option. Yeah. like I mean, you could have probably, well, you could have paid money to Jordan Montgomery to provide those innings for you that you threw at both Gibson and Lance Lynn. So I mean, that, that also, that's a little bit of a different market. He's going to get way more than I, either of those. I guys get are. it, but you're getting innings and you're getting elite stuff compared to what two guys are going to provide you innings and probably be fours and fives. But I, that's, you operated it just a weird way in terms of, yeah, you needed innings and you needed to be able to get through a season, but you really needed some top stuff at the, at the beginning of your rotation so that you could, Frankly, he did what Mo said. They built for the regular season and not for October. And then he acts like that when they get to the trade deadline, well, we'll make a move to go for the postseason. But then they won't because, well, the, the price was too high. So it shouldn't surprise us that they did this because this is what the president of baseball operations said. My hearing, seeing this comment reminded me of why I'm always so skeptical, skeptical about the Cardinals in the offseason. <laughs> because though, sure, they got the top guy that they needed and they still need another. They clearly don't think that. They did this completely wrong. They did. This is like building a playground set for your kids. They go down the slide once, they play on it, and then you realize, oh, crap, we forgot an important screw. Thank God it didn't collapse on us. They did the offseason completely wrong, and they got lucky. They almost The sunny gray market was heating up, as Mo said in that co- in that uh, article by Katie Wu. It's like and building like, a home, but before you decide where you're buying the home or anything, you buy all of the stuff to put inside of the yeah. home. Like, I bought the couch. I, I bought the new plasma screen TV that I'm putting up in my living room. I've got all of the cool stuff that I'm going to put inside of my home. I just haven't yet bought the home. It, it looks great in the uh, storage unit. Exactly. I, I couldn't believe what I read today in Kenny Wu's piece. They they didn't learn all the right lessons from last year. 
And sure, they ended up getting a guy that's going to be at the top of the rotation in Sonny Gray. They're still missing either one or two, however you put it that way. And these innings that they sure love, I don't know what the hell they're getting out of these innings. It could be seven innings, but they're giving up five or six earned runs. It goes back to the conversation that we had a million different times between the trade deadline and the start of the offseason, which was, what are you prioritizing? Are you wanting to get those two front-end starters, or do you want the innings at the back end of your rotation that bring more certainty? And for us all in this room, we all prioritize getting those two front end arms. Alex, that's why you brought up Jordan Montgomery. Well, if you're getting the two back end arms, you can't get Jordan Montgomery and another front end starter. They didn't have the money to be able to put out all that. But what they did decide to do was take that money that you could have otherwise put into Jordan Montgomery for this upcoming season and put it into the back end of their rotation. That was their priority. I disagree with it. I think they went about it wrong, and we'll see how it ends up going for them this year. But that was clearly what they had their minds set on. By the way, there was one other quote from Mo that I'll get to right here. Uh, it would be pretty unlikely at the moment for the Cardinals to continue going into the free or the starting pitching trade market. But, quote, never say never because there could be something that we're not thinking about that gets presented to us that does end up making sense, end quote. Moral of the story after reading this from Katie Wu, I certainly do not get the impression that the Cardinals are in on the front end starting pitching trade market. I disagree with that. I think they should be, especially if Framber Valdez is actually available as Ken Rosenthal speculated earlier today. But set that aside for a moment because we got to get to Mike Rupp. Former NHL forward, now on NHL Network. We'll get his thoughts on the Jordan Cairo situation, firing Craig Berube. What does he make of this mess here in St. Louis? We'll talk to Rupp about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm BK. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our second NHL Network guest of the day. He's Mike Rupp, former NHL forward and now an analyst over at NHL Network. Saw him last night breaking down the Blues decision to fire Craig Berube. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. I know that some of this is you rehashing what you said last night, but out of curiosity for our local audience here in St. Louis, what did you think of the decision for the Blues to fire Craig Berube? Oh, man, it's never an easy process. Um, you know, we see it, and we've seen it already this year a couple times. There's there's good NHL coaches. They're getting fired, and I think a lot of it's due to nowadays with the salary cap, you want to shake a team up. Sometimes it's difficult, and you get long-term contracts. You get no trade clauses. You get all these different kind of things in play that kind of tie GM's hands in some regards. So it seems like the coach is kind of the easy out, if you will. Um, you know, I... I, I think Craig Brube is an amazing coach. I think he's been incredible. Um, but I also look at it from the other standpoint where, you know, you need to make something happen. And the one thing that I have learned and kind of covering this now for the last nine years since I've been retired is, um, you know, you've got uh, Doug Armstrong's one of the best, if not the best of self-evaluation of his hockey club. And does that mean – you know, getting rid of Craig Berube is going to be the best move and, you know, it's going to automatically turn things. No, but, you know, he came out and said it. Like he, he wanted he wanted to have some things put in place and kind of build this back up, and he wasn't seeing things happening. So, you know, I understand it from that standpoint. It's, it's a tough decision, especially for what Chief has done there. Um, you know, again, I don't envy the position that he's in, but, 
you know, I, I also look at it and don't think the expectations of this team, I mean, they're kind of what I thought they'd be, right? Like, I don't think it's a overly well-built and put-together team. I think what they've had since they won the Cup in 19 was, uh, all right, now how, how do we kind of keep this thing going? I mean, even at that time, they were kind of revered to be a, an old team, and they're trying to change on the fly there. They have the Cairo Thomas contracts. It's a new youth movement, and um, they've lost a lot of leadership over the last couple seasons. So I think they're in this transition time where they're trying to do it on the fly. But I mean, I didn't really think this team was going to be much more than a bubble team this year to begin with. So you know, that's kind of where it's at here. And uh, you make a change, you hope to kind of start moving things in the right direction long term. You know, Mike, they. they... The Blues talked about the word accountability a lot from the press conference up to Drew Bannister taking over yesterday. Accountability with these players, accountability in the locker room. From a veteran's perspective, a lot of people are focused in on Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, you know, being the the air, the age guys that are taking over for this new team. And Craig Berube was the casualty for those two guys trying to get them going with their game. How does a veteran handle that in the locker room after Berube's let go? Um, I just think it's important to, you know, you talk about team evaluation, have self-evaluation too. Um, you know, it's a, you have a team that uh, I think it's important for the veterans to be like in this moment. I mean, the, the one thing it does is it moves somebody out of the crosshairs. Like there's nobody else in between um, the GM and you now. It's the players are the next up. All right, and you got to see some responses here. You got to see guys kind of you know doing the doing the right things and being accountable and I, I always felt like whether I've had coaches that have been fired that I love I've had coaches fired that I really didn't like at all but at the end of the day whether it's even the ones I don't like you kind of feel a little responsible you feel bad it's someone you know it almost feels like they're taking the fall you know but it's um you gotta you gotta look yourself in the mirror I think that's so important it's a cliche thing we hear all the time in sports and um Man, if you're not if you're not going to look in the mirror and make yourself be better every day coming to the rink, nothing's going to get fixed. It's just kind of that next thing that's going to be taken down, and you don't want it to be you. Mike, we talked to your colleague at NHL Network, Bruce Boudreaux, about this a little bit earlier today. I'm curious your perspective on it because it does seem like in the NHL, maybe more so than in any other sport, uh, these coaches almost come in with the acknowledgement that, hey, I've got like a three to five year run here and then I'm going to get fired because that's what happens to every coach, even the best ones. I mean, you look at, for example, Boudreaux, three different stints, as he mentioned to us, four and a half years. Uh, Peter DeBoer, I think he's a pretty good coach, three to five years in four different spots. You see Craig Berube here, four and a half years. Why do you think that is? What is it about the NHL that leads itself to these coaches getting fired so quickly after they're hired? I think it's a bunch of things. I think the the modern day athlete or the modern day, um, I don't know, youth, it's different. And I'm not saying it's in a negative way. It's just, you know, you used to be able to, you got to find ways to get guys going and you got to speak their language. And um, I don't think it always was that way. You spoke one language. And if the player doesn't understand that language, then guess what? You're out, you know, and we talked about those things. It's hard moving some contracts and players and, you know, it's it's not always in the right interest of the team. So I think you got to learn and and kind of evolve in the way you communicate to different guys. Because just like dealing with raising kids, some respond differently, and you got to try to connect. And it's so important. I mean, I think a lot of coaches have kind of said that. And nowadays, 
it seems like it's less about the X's and O's and more about connecting with the players, right? And, you know, you see some in the league that are able to do it and stay for a long time, and that's not insinuating the ones that get fired can't do it. And I'm not saying that at all. It's just um, I think it's more complicated now. You know, it's it's sitting there and, you know, you want to play a certain way, but then there's also the way the game the game has kind of been now. It's like you used to have kind of roles on a team. From a player standpoint, like, my job is X, Y, and Z, and yours is A, B, and C. All right, I'm going to make sure I'm doing mine, and you make sure you do yours. And now I think that there's the way that players are brought up, and kind of by the time they get to the NHL, I'm not sure they know what their role is and what their career is going to look like and what their bread and butter is going to be. So they're all striving for the same thing. So as a coach, all right, you're playing third line or fourth line. Like, if your mentality is, i got to go out there and score goals, and the coach's mentality is, hey, i got to get you to understand that that's not your job right now. Your job are these things. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's been wishy-washy, and I think it's very tough, and you got to have a special player to understand. you got to earn the trust of your coach. You can name so many different careers. It's, about, it's not about production when you come in. If you're not a star player, it's not about production. It's about earning the trust to get more minutes. You get more minutes, production will come. And uh, I see players like that all the time that come in. All right, I'm not going to be on the top two lines. What can I do here to get more minutes? I can't just go in there and be like, Coach, I want more minutes. That's part of it. But I, I got to go out there and be like, all right, I'm going to make sure that I'm blocking shots. I'm going to try to make myself – I'm going to try to put myself on the line more than anybody else on this team and make that my thing. Or maybe it's, you know, just being good defensively or taking face-offs or being on the PK. And then next thing you know, you get trusted a little bit more. And then you get in certain stages of games where you're protecting leads and, you know, maybe you have some star players playing up in the lineup and those guys don't pay attention to those things. They're, they're paid to, to score. Now you're getting an opportunity to play with them because you're the guy that can kind of even it out and be a defensive conscience on those lines. I, I think it's really important for players to understand what their job is. What's a win for a player? Too many players nowadays will we'll judge their game by production. And, and that's the losing thing. Coaches aren't doing it by that way. They're doing it by, can I trust you in these situations? And you got to communicate that with them. So with that being said, Mike, and not to take anything away from Drew Bannister, who has this opportunity as the interim head coach, but if, if you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes and the state of this team, the state of this roster and what you're trying to accomplish, what type of head coach are you looking for to take over long-term? You got to connect with these these players and find ways. It doesn't mean be buddy buddy with them. Get them to understand and kind of find a way to speak their language and get them going. I mean, you, geez, I just got done this morning, kind of looking at a similar situation in Minnesota when Dean Evison gets fired. They bring in John Hines and Matt Boldy, who with the Wild had a very slow start to his season. Then all of a sudden he's on fire. I start digging into it. I'm like, well, what is it exactly that he's doing here? better or more to get more of an opportunity and there's literally nothing he's actually getting less ice time he's actually you know have had less less shot attempts on that sometimes just getting a new coach just makes you forget the past and you have a clearer mind coming to the rink and that's important for these coaches drew bannister's not coming in there and making drastic changes to the x's and o's he's coming in there trying to connect with players and try to try to open that door for them you know, put, you get that key, that magic key that'll get them going. And maybe it's just a fresh start. Maybe it's just telling them, hey, 
It's what happens tonight and going forward. That's all that matters. And I think that there's something to that. You know, and you look at that Matt Boldy situation, he's taken off, and he wasn't given more. It wasn't like all of a sudden now you're going to, you know, throw a guy a bone. You just, it was a fresh, you came to the rink, you didn't carry all that weight. And uh, I think that that's the biggest thing when a new coach comes in midseason. Mike Rupp is our guest for just another minute or two here on 101 ESPN. We always appreciate his time. Former NHL forward, now an analyst over on NHL Network. You can follow him, of course, at Rupper17 on Twitter, R-U-P-P-E-R-1-7 on Twitter. Uh, Mike, the final thing that I wanted to ask you about was what happened yesterday with Jordan Cairo. I don't know if you saw all of this, but it started out with the day he was asked about his relationship with Craig Berube, and he he said, I have no comment. Uh, He's no longer our head coach here. Blues fans loved Craig Berube. He was a folk hero here in St. Louis. And so at the game last night, as he was being introduced, there were boos that rained down on him. And then during the game, as he touched the puck, there were more boos that rained down on him. And afterwards, he got emotional as he was talking with the media about what that meant, uh, how hard it was for him to play in that game. Yeah. I'm curious, Mike. Have you seen that yourself with one of your teammates that uh, got booed uh, by the home crowd? And even if not, what what do you do in that scenario if one of your teammates was uh, that guy like Jordan Cairo was yesterday? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you let your teammate know you're there. You know, hey, it's all good. We're going to move forward here. We got your back and whatever. But I, I also think that, you know, I was actually wrapping up the NHL Now show on NHL Network from 4 to 6. And uh, that's when that kind of news came down of Jordan Kyrou's kind of his comments. And then I saw the post game that you're talking about. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to bury on him because, you know, the post game, he kind of addressed it, but it's, that's all part of it. That accountability you're talking about. And I, I've been in his position. I was a young player. I mean, I wasn't as skilled as Jordan Kyrou, but I had a coach in Pat Burns in New Jersey. We won a cup together. And I was his whipping boy, man. Like he gave it to me and I didn't realize I got more mature than what it was that he had a belief in me and he was trying to get more out of me. But from Jordan Cairo, when I saw those comments, I'm thinking to myself, are you serious? You've got 64 million reasons to be appreciative of, 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 of Craig Brube, or at least not kick dirt on him when he's down. Right. And so I think this is a true kind of, he, he's at an impasse here as far as where his career is going to go. And what I mean by that is he's out, he's got talent, man. He's, he's going to be a skilled player. He's going to play in this league, but do you want to be a star? Do you want to be a star? You got to take accountability here. That wasn't doing it. We'll see where it goes from here. Craig Burby didn't deserve that. And I don't care what happened in the room. You know, I don't care what kind of relationship you had. You could have just said something else. And that's part of the process. And a lot of people say, well, he's a 25 year old kid. Hey, I know a lot of players have, you know, families at 25, like that, that's not an excuse. You, you, it, sometimes you, you live in this masked world when you're a professional athlete and you're not in reality. And maybe this will give them a, a little bit of a reality check. And, and I, I don't want to bury on him. I want to see how he responds yep. because now all my eyes are on him. I'll tell you what, I came home last night. The one game on the docket I watched was the St. Louis Blues. Yep. I had my eyes all over 25. What kind of response are you going to have here? And uh, I like the kid. I think he's a talent. We'll see how high his career can go is how he manages this. 
Yep. We said earlier today, we think this is a fork in the road moment for him. And depending on how he responds is how he's going to be remembered here in St. Louis because of that contract, because of the comments, everything. And nobody can help him through that, Mike. And Bannister said it last night. You can't hold this kid's hand through it. He's going to have to figure this out himself. Yeah, I mean, it's he's not 18. He's not 19. Like, you're, you're a young man. And and that's, listen, that's all part of it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to crush the guy or, but it's, I I didn't like it, but it's all about how you respond moving forward. And this could be a very telling moment of his career either way. Um, You know, if you, sometimes you got to sit there and it's not everybody else's fault. It's not everybody else's fault. And also, uh, you know, uh, I've had the, I mentioned Pat Burns. Uh, he gave me my first chance in the NHL. You know, I got my I got my um, my actual NHL contract because of the way he used me. You know, we won a Stanley Cup together. You know, he, Jordan Cairo got eight times eight. All right, like that's you were paid up front here. Start taking some accountability and see where it goes. Mike, we always enjoy our conversations, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We wish you and yours the very best as we get closer to the holiday season. If we don't catch up with you before then, uh, thanks as always, and we'll talk with you again soon, my man. Hey, thanks, guys. Anytime. Happy holidays to everybody, and uh, hey, let's go Blues. Let's get a little reaction here. <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. Yeah, we can it, use it around here. Thanks, That's buddy. Mike Rupp, former NHL forward, Stanley Cup champion, now NHL network analyst. I thought that was awesome. Uh, so much that you can pull from that interview. Alex, I thought there were two things in particular that stood out for me. I want to hear your side of things as well. He was talking about how guys have to accept their roles. And I remember John Mosaloc talking about this a few years ago, about how hard it is to find players that are willing to accept that bench role in Major League Baseball and how veterans don't want to sign up for that as free agents. Young players don't want to be that. And so they're always trying to do more. It's hard to get guys to accept those roles. And yet in 2019, that is exactly what happened. The reason why the blues ended up winning the Stanley cup that year is because Craig Berube did an excellent job of getting guys to buy into their roles. And I don't know that that's happened as well this season. The other thing that he was talking about was players earning trust by getting those bottom six forward minutes. And the guy that immediately popped into mind for me was Jake Neighbors. Jake Neighbors is everything he was talking about, where he said, hey, listen, if you're in that role, fourth line, third line, whatever, what can I do that will earn trust from my head coach here? And if I do earn that trust, I'm going to get more opportunities. I'm going to get up on the top line where the production's going to follow. And guess what? That is exactly what happened this year for Jake Neighbors. Started out on the fourth line, did everything you could ask for on an identity line, and then worked his way up on the lineup from there. So you've seen how it can work for a young player with Jake Neighbors, how it did work when you accept roles in 2019 and what happens for other guys that don't accept roles and don't have the mindset that Jake neighbors is with basically everything in between. And I think that's what drew Bannister is going to be able to accomplish with this team. I mean, when you're an interim head coach and and you know what we asked Mike, what this team is going to be looking for, for a head coach. And he said, the ability to connect with these younger players, this is what Bannister is going to have to accomplish. If now the, 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 the whipping boy that was Craig Berube is out of the way and all focuses on a Cairo. If a play like the Detroit Red Wings happens, drew Bannister should put that player on the bench and say, that can't happen. That's the accountability that you're talking about. There's other guys that deserve that opportunity because they're putting in that work that we've talked about. And it's so funny. We were talking with Mike Rupp about 
the Jordan Cairo situation because Paul Maurice, I just saw a tweet of this, is on with Jeff Merrick, and this is what Paul Maurice said when Merrick asked him how he coaches players who don't get along with him. Paul Maurice said, quote, they don't have to like you, but you want them to respect your direction and respect your vision. And we've heard from Ken Hitchcock, Doug Armstrong. Now we just heard from Mike Rupp, Bruce Boudreaux. The reason that coaches work in today's age with younger players is you've got to find out how to make sure that player you're talking to knows what the full picture is of you're trying to accomplish. Yep. Because before it was go out there and four check hard, <laughs> and players like cool because I don't want to go everything back. That moves. I don't want to go back to the minors. I don't want to go have to go ride the bus and eat cardboard pizza as Joe Vitale likes to talk about compared to the nice steak dinners that I get at the NHL level. But now players realize that you need me because I provide the offense and the talent, and it's. Well, explain to me why I need to do that. Why do I need to back check a forward and cover him in my own zone when I'm getting paid to score goals? That's why Paul Maurice has had success. That's why some of the best coaches have success is because players don't like the coach. It's the Herb Brooks quote from the movie Miracle, right? I don't expect you to like me. Frankly, I expect you to hate me, but I expect you to respect me. That's what teams need, and it's not just the Blues. It's the Ottawa Senators. It's the New Jersey Devils who are struggling right now. It's the Vancouver Canucks that brought in Rick Tockett. Teams that have younger players that have all of the expectations in the world, if they don't understand what direction you're trying to take this team in their career, then you're going to be gone because the players are going to be the ones that dictate the outcome, and it's very clear. To your point on the the forecheck, go out and hit everything that moves, that used to be all you had to say, and now it's something more. Now, instead of saying, hey, just go out there and forecheck, you have to say, the, the player's going to ask you, why? What is that going to do? And what like, does that mean? <laughs> and... You then have to explain to them, well, if you go out and do this, it opens up that for the other player, which opens up this for the third piece of the puzzle, which then gets us this opportunity in front of the net. That's what's different about coaching in 2023 versus what it was 30 years ago. It used to be, hey, you go do this and shut up. Mm -hmm. And the player then would go shut shut up up and do his job. And I don't think that means one is better or worse than the other. It's just different which which by the way just so we could clarify and i think a lot of people know this that that was not how craig baruby was coaching this team for people no, that Baruby's actually really good at all of the baruby, stuff that we're talking about baruby was so the weird. one and that's the part that mike rupp was probably frustrated with last night on nhl network and you could kind of hear it in his voice there when he was talking about it like craig baruby was the type of guy that would explain why he was never the type of guy that said go do this and no follow-up with that the issue relied or the issue lied in the message from Craig Berube to that individual player, whoever that player was. And it's not just Cairo, despite people's belief. It was a lot of guys in that locker room. For some reason, the middleman wasn't helping deliver that message like guys were in 2019. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. I thought both of our interviews today have been excellent. Mike Rupp and Bruce Boudreaux. If you missed any of them, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. They are all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up next, a weird week in the NFL. Some lines that, frankly, don't make sense. Famous last words. There were a couple that didn't make sense last week, and then we didn't do so well in our picks. We'll see if we do a little better this week. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Weird week in the NFL. I was looking through the lines yesterday and thinking to myself, all right, what do I want to take? What do I want to take? What do I want to take? Ooh, there's some in here that do not look like they make a whole lot of sense, which means, of course, we're going to get all of these wrong. You're betting on the avocado for Mexico Bowl. Avocado for Mexico. Mexico. Uh, yes, last week, T-Bone and Alex combined to go 0 for 6 in their football pick what? I went two and one, so I am up to what? four points no. over the first two weeks of this month. T-Bone and Alex are both tied, bringing up the rear with three points so far. We have two weeks remaining in the month of December, so let the chips fall where they may, my friends. So let's get into this. If you're new to our segment, the way this works, we each pick three games. It's on a scale of one to three. Very simple. It's all NFL this week, I would assume. Uh, just games that are played before Monday when we get back on the air. Only against the spread. No props, no totals, nothing like that. Very simple game. We'll see how we do over the weekend. My first selection going into the weekend, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be one that I would imagine T-Bone is not going to love because I'm picking his boys. The L.A. Rams are at home against the Washington Commanders. The Rams are a six and a half point favorite in this one. Guys, I think the Rams might put up 50 against the Commanders. And I think we may see with Washington what we just saw today with Brandon Staley. I think they're done, man. Super done. And I think Ron Rivera well, very well may be fired by the end of the weekend. And you'll see Eric Bieniemy getting his first crack as an interim head coach. Give me the Rams minus the six and a half. I don't think the commanders can keep up. T-Bone? Oh, we want to go to me? All right. Well, my one point play. I'm falling for the Italian stallion Tommy DeVito. Oh, God. That's right. The Illini quarterback, the franchise altering quarterback for the New York Giants. They're playing well. They're taking on the Saints this week, and they're a five-and-a-half-point underdog. Dude, I have no trust in the New Orleans Saints. Honestly, anybody in that division. Tommy DeVito's playing really well. I'm going to buy it. Give me the Giants plus five-and-a-half against the Saints. I don't know if they win the game outright, but I think it's going to be close. I like the Giants plus five-and-a-half against New Orleans. All right, as usual, I'm staying in the NFL. First game for me is I'm taking the road team, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, plus three-and-a-half. I think Tampa, although they're at the top of their division, still has the Atlanta Falcons on their tail. And frankly, I think the Green Bay Packers stink. Uh, Green Bay can act like they're fighting for a playoff spot, but they're really not because they're a bad team, probably just as good as Minnesota. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield and that offense is going to wipe the floor with Green Bay, hmm. even on the road. So plus three and a half, I'll take those odds. All right, my next one up here is sticking in that exact same division. I don't get this line. Oh, it doesn't great. make sense to me. Oh, boy. The Carolina Panthers are one of the worst football teams I've seen assembled in the NFL in recent years. Bryce Young looks completely unprepared to play NFL football. And even if he was prepared, boys, his offense, whether that's the line, the receivers, the running back, the coordinator, it all looks completely broken around him. So why is it that the Falcons are only a three-point favorite on the road? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, so I'll go ahead and take it. I'm going to take the Falcons minus the three points going on the road, quote-unquote, to Carolina where they're going to beat the ever-living hell out of the Panthers. Give me the Falcons minus three. I don't trust Atlanta enough to even buy them on three points against Carolina. I took them last Carolina. week and I lost. My two-point play. I learned last week, boys. I did. 
Give me Jake Browning in the Bengals. Minus three against the Vikings. I think the Vikings are done. The Dobbs experience ended pretty quickly. They can't get things figured out offensively, and the Bengals have a decent defense still. So I think Cincinnati's going to win that game. Minus three. Love that line. Give me the Bengals against the Vikings. All right. Uh, Two-point play. Another road dog favorite. I'm taking Baltimore minus three and a half. Oh, I like that one. I'm sorry. Minus three I have it at. Um, Jacksonville, another team. I mean, Trevor Lawrence might not be healthy still. Who freaking knows? But one thing I do know is Baltimore's defense is legit, and I think they're going to cause havoc on Trevor Lawrence. And then on top of it, I'm not sure the uh, Jacksonville defense can find a way to stop Lamar Jackson. So minus three for the Ravens. That's my two-point play. All right. My next one up, boys. I'm between a couple here because I like a couple of these this, lines a lot. This is where you're supposed to take the game, not not debate it. Okay. Yep. Okay. This is the one you That's absolutely love. Up. I will give you my answer and it will be very direct. The San Francisco 49ers are just the best team in the NFL. They're a 12 point favorite on the road at the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are really bad. Give me the 49ers minus the 12 points. That is on DraftKings Sportsbook app. I like the 49ers. I think the Cardinals are bad. I think the 49ers are definitively our only great team in the NFL. Give me the 49ers. That's my three-point play. Arizona stinks. Kyler Murray will short circuit when this defense starts getting after him. And I agree. They're playing the best football right now, and they look like the best team now that they're healthy again. Brock Purdy's playing well, putting himself in the MVP conversation. I love this line. Minus 12. It could have been minus 17. I probably would have taken it. So I like 49ers. I'm taking the actual best team in the NFC, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys plus Ooh. one and a half. I, I've got plus two if you want it. I'll take it. Fine by me. I, I think Dallas is going to win this game. As much as I like Buffalo and think Buffalo has been playing better, Donnie, if you're listening, I apologize. I still love you, buddy. But Dak Prescott and that offense have proven to be the best offense, I think, right there with San Francisco. And the defense is not going to allow Josh Allen to have the success. So I think Dallas straight up wins. I'm totally with you on that. I just don't have the cojones to actually pick it. Same. Screw it. I'm already lose. I, I've already lost one. I'm, I don't really care. I, I was looking at this one and I went, okay, I really like Dallas. Like they are the better team. But then I just said to myself, Buffalo just feels like the team yeah. that gets hot late, sneaks into the playoffs, and then everybody's going to be picking I'm them. I'm so, man. If they win by one point, you're still covered fair. there. That's fair. But I, I think just, it's going to be determined by yeah. three points one way or yeah. the other, and that's why it makes me anxious. It makes me just a little nervy as I'm getting ready to pick the game. I know, that I, yeah, I know that I'm going to be watching uh, it on Sunday saying I'm to confident. myself, God dang it, I knew Josh Allen was going to go out there and have one of those Josh Allen games, and by this I mean a good one against the Dallas Cowboys. So, I didn't have the guts to go ahead and take it. The other one that I didn't have the guts to take, but I really wanted to, was Jets plus nine and a half. I am a little nervous about the Dolphins heading into this matchup going into the weekend. They struggled a bit the last time that these two teams met. There is supposed to be some weather down in Miami. It's supposed to be a little rainy and very windy heading into this one. And Tyreek Hill is very questionable. Devon A-Chain is also very questionable going into this one. And I heard yesterday they're going to be without six offensive linemen on their roster heading into this one. So God, I like the Jets a lot. Again, I just... It's really hard to bet on Zach Wilson. Like the Dolphins could totally score 14 points on defense in this game, and it wouldn't surprise me. So I didn't have the guts to take it, but that was the other one that I really liked going into the weekend. I almost took the Chiefs, too, with uh, the Patriots, but I also don't have the guts on that one. I'm going to put together like a 10-leg parlay going into this weekend because there's a lot of games that I find to be interesting. I didn't know what Tony was going to line up, so I didn't know what Uh, to do. Not even that. It's just I don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to be mediocre or not. Although uh, Travis Kelsey skipped Taylor Swift's birthday party, so good for him. Big deal. Did you see that? We're going to talk about that coming up next in the Junk Chore here on 101. ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. BK coming up here just a little bit. It's now on Jordan Cairo to earn his way back into your good graces. And I think yesterday could have been the start of that. We'll get into that coming up here in just a minute. But Alex, I think it's been interesting to see the Swifties and how they have learned about football on the fly. Yeah, Tanner's learned a lot since she yeah. and Travis started dating. And yesterday was <laughs> Did you know that the latest example. <laughs> Kelsey's here. teammate doesn't. Man. I'm done with that conversation. Oh, I'm so not. Travis Kelsey, according to Entertainment Tonight, was, quote, noticeably absent, end quote, at Taylor Swift's 34th birthday celebration in New York City. Wow. But. No questions yet. For good reason. Oh, what was the reason? A source told Entertainment Tonight that he, quote, his job remains committed to playing his best and doing his best on and off of the field. The team practices are, quote, crucial, mandatory to attend, and something he, quote, takes very seriously. Oh, wow. Good. Well, that's good. They continue. So it is no surprise that he stayed in Kansas City ahead of this weekend's game, end quote. Alex, you have a question. Yes. How are you noticeably absent? Aren't you just absent? Like, do well, you walk around and say, Travis Kelsey's not here? Travis Kelsey is not here, ladies no, no. and gentlemen. Have you seen the response by Swifties to her new boyfriend being a football player? That is how you become noticeably absent. He is not here. I just want everybody to know that Taylor Swift does not have Kelsey here. I can't believe that this became a story. Well, all the Swifties. I can't. I, can. I genuinely. Like, it is surprising to people. All the Swifties. That Travis Kelsey, who plays a football game on Sunday and has practiced during the week, was not able to take a, a red eye out to New York. Oh, please. Swifties, hang out with Swifties his, have got a private jet to take on. Yeah, seriously. Taylor Swift. Yeah, okay. I, I'm I'll, disappointed in tra- I'd break up with him oh, if I'm no, no, I'll shame Taylor Swift right no, here. You've no. got the money to get a private jet to pick Travis up from his go. practice. Well, if that's the case, then they should break up and I, we should have a new I'm album. Saying. The new album should be called Broncos. Birthday wishes. Because it's, it's the gonna, other team in the it's AFC It's going to be called Tony. No, Kadarius. Yeah, it's going to be KT. Kadarius. Should I, what? They're going to have, there's definitely going to be a song on the next album that somehow references Kadarius. Called Offsides. That is 100% He was Offsides in the game, but I was Offsides (laughs) in my heart. You got to keep workshopping that. I don't think you're quite there yet. Kadarius. Judd, by the way. had the right idea. Judd, who works up at our sister station in uh, Minnesota, took this very seriously and said, sports don't care about your birthday, your holiday, your anniversary, or when kids are born. In season, what? the team takes precedent, except for okay. very few occasions. Get the hell out of it. First of all, <laughs> a team always cares about the birth of a baby. Are you kidding me? If you don't, you're heartless. Birthdays, I'd agree with. Well, Nobody cares. Was back in one day. That's all I'm saying. So Travis Kelsey probably should have gone up there for the birthday. Yeah, Coming I, up next, it is now on Jordan Cairo to earn his way back into the good graces of you as a fan. And I think yesterday might have been the start of that. We'll explain next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So I think this is a true kind of he, he's at an impasse here as far as where his career is going to go. And what I mean by that is he's out. He's got talent, man. He's, he's going to be a skilled player. He's going to play in this league. But do you want to be a star? you got to take accountability here. That wasn't doing it. We'll see where it goes from here. That was Mike Rupp earlier today joining us from NHL Network, the former NHL forward and Stanley Cup champion alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. So, Alex, the big news yesterday was the comment that we all heard from Jordan Cairo. We all saw from Jeremy Rutherford, uh, who tweeted out about Jordan Cairo, who said on his relationship with Craig Berube, quote, I've got no comment. He's not my coach anymore, end quote. And when that quote hit Twitter, we all knew what the reaction was going to be, and I think it was a fair reaction. It was, in my opinion, an immature comment, one where he clearly did not realize what the uh, reaction would be to that comment, and then he was booed mercifully at the game, and then it continued on into the game any time that he was touching the puck. I think that the pregame boos were more than reasonable by fans. I didn't love the boos during the game, but this is what you sign up for when you sign an $8 million contract, and you make a comment like that, a no comment, prior to the game on a Stanley Cup winning coach here in St. Louis. So I get all of that. Alex, what I want to do now is kind of push this thing forward a little bit, because we've talked enough about the comment itself. What happens next to me is most interesting. It was very clear it affected him during the game. I, I thought you could tell that he was battling the puck a little bit. It, it was not one of Jordan Kyra's best games. But now he has an opportunity to make good on this. Because yesterday can eventually be seen as the moment that ended up pushing him to be the player that he needed to be here in St. Louis. So Jordan Kyra, after the game, was asked about that comment. And he was asked to clarify. And here's what he had to say after having time between the first no comment, the game, the booze, and then his ability to really speak to the fans once again. I obviously respect Chief, you know. He's been my coach for the whole time I've been here, right? So, you know, I respect everything he's done here. You know, he's done, he's done a great job. You know, he won a cup, right? So all I really meant was, you know, I'm just trying to focus on my future and, you know, focus on what I can do to help my team win. So that's, that's all I really meant. And I understand when he said that because and a lot of people are like, no, you know what you meant when you said it. I don't think he did. I think it was a 25-year-old kid who, when he was asked the question, do you have any thoughts on Craig Berube, it was no comment. I'm moving forward with my career. That's what it was supposed to be, what it came out. And I think a lot of this is just the narrative was led this direction of last season, Barubi and Cairo butting heads. You have the turnover against the Detroit Red Wings that led to the Barubi firing, that led to the press conference, that led to Jordan Cairo making those comments. And then it was, no comment, he's gone, not my problem. That's what people interpreted. But a 25-year-old kid who, yes, to Mike Rupp's point, he's been in the, the league now for six years. You know what mistakes like that can do to yourself. But I, I think he said one thing and meant another, which was where the follow-up. And I got to applaud the kid for standing up in front of a stall with microphones in his face and basically backing up what he said by this is what I meant by it. But there's no other direction you can go with this than move forward because what doesn't need to happen is every single time Jordan Kyrie touches the puck for the next three months, everybody boos him. Because at some point, and Chris Pronger said it best to Jeremy Rutherford in his piece, 
at some point, everybody in the NHL moves on. Every, tonight, NHL Network is going to be talking about another injury, another turnover, another player that made a mistake in-game or off the ice. That's going to be the narrative. It and should for, be done now. And for Blues fans, you go into this next game in hopes that Jordan Cairo takes the accountability with his words and puts the accountability into the work ethic on the ice. That's where his judgment's going to come. You as a fan have the right to hold players accountable. Yes. You can do that with the organization by not going to the games, or you can do that with a player by expressing your displeasure by booing. And that's what you did last night. You expressed your displeasure with something that Jordan Cairo said and the performance by Jordan Cairo on the ice so far this year. And now we move forward. Now everybody gets to have the opportunity to make this thing right. Jordan Cairo's got an eight-year contract. It's worth more than $60 million for him to perform with the Blues. The worst-case scenario for everybody involved is that he doesn't perform up to those expectations. You continue to boo him, and everybody's stuck with one another because that's exactly what's going to happen if he doesn't perform. That $8 million contract would be untradeable. That's what Drager told us yesterday. This doesn't get turned around. And so the best case scenario for you as a fan, for him as a player, for the team, is that by Saturday, by the time they take the ice against the Dallas Stars, this thing is put into the rearview mirror and he uses it as a learning experience. You expressed your displeasure. You deserve to do that. That is your right as a fan. But now we all move forward together and Bannister is going to be the one that allows that to happen. He is now the head man in charge. He is correct, Jordan Cairo was, in saying that Craig Burby is no longer his head coach. Bannister is. And so he was asked yesterday about how Cairo held up throughout the game. Here's what he had to say. I think anybody that played sports or, or professional sports, for that matter, has gone through a stretch in sports where they're fighting the game a little bit and they're searching for answers. And that's what he's doing right now. He's searching for answers, you know, and, and Jordan's got to work his way through it, you know, and myself, the rest of the team, they're here to support him. And this is where Drew Bannister comes into play. And as much as people are still upset about Craig Berube being gone, at some point, we as Blues fans need to say what Jordan Bennington said Wednesday after the firing and then Thursday prior to the game. Look, It stinks. We had him here and we loved him here, but we've got to move on. The focus now is on this team moving forward. And frankly, a Drew Bannister might be the best thing for Jordan Cairo in terms of taking that step forward. Cairo is used to Drew Bannister. He knows how to play for Drew Bannister. He did so two separate times in the American Hockey League. And I personally think Drew Bannister is going to be the guy that puts Jordan Cairo into the accountability space where he says, look, he said it postgame. This isn't about... Jordan Cairo, this is about the team, but we can't hold his hand through this. He's got to figure out what type of player he wants to be, how much success he's going to have in this league, and how he wants to play this game. And we can't tell him what to do. We can't force him what to do. The accountability is on Jordan Cairo to figure out and move forward. And frankly, that's that's what Mike Rupp was talking about. That's what Bruce Boudreaux was talking about. You've got to make sure you have the connection with the player so that the player can trust you moving forward. The ball is in Kairou's court now. It is on Kairou to take that step. This is the moment that five years from today, we look back on and say Kairou learned from that moment right there, that the, from the comment, from the fans booing him, to then take his game to the next level. And I don't mean just putting up like 40, 45 goals. I mean all around showing the effort every night, being out there, having that competitive nature every night, going out there and taking the offensive step as well, and then also being the guy that is now viewed as the face of the franchise and is no longer going to become the the 
the enemy of the Blues fans. Now he can bond with Blues fans and say, you know what, I learned my lesson. I'm with you guys. Here I go. I'm taking the ice every night with that competitive nature, that competitive fire that you love, that you love from Craig Berube, and I'm going to be that guy, and I'm going to show you I'm worth every penny that I got in this eight-year contract and, extension. And BK, Blues fans are are very intelligent about their athletes. Like, they know the style of hockey that they want to see, and I know people will push back and say, well, Kyrou can't be that. No, Kyrou can't be that. It may not be the way you want it to be, but Jordan Kyrou is going to have to to play into the mold that Blues fans expect, and that's very responsible play on one side of the ice while creating the offense on the other. And let's be honest, Jordan Kyrou did that this season. He took massive steps from last year's Jordan Kyrou to this year's Jordan Kyrou. Some of that is credit to Craig Berube and what he did with this team. A lot of it is a credit to Jordan Kyrou for putting the work in the offseason. But now, as Tebow mentioned, you've got to put it on the ice and go a long stretch with it. Different players, different personalities, different seasons, different eras of Blues hockey. But we saw this with Vladimir Tarasenko. He wasn't exactly a guy that was beloved for his attention to detail and his hard forechecking and his ability to play a full 200-foot game. But, man, look at the guy that is one of the most beloved players of the last 15 years here in St. Louis. It's Vladimir Tarasenko. So... If he can become that, it's still possible for Jordan Cairo to be that guy here in St. Louis, but it requires him to perform better. And frankly, I'm with you guys. Yes, he does need to be better 200-foot style. It's about the goals. If he's out here putting together highlight real plays consistently and scores 30-plus <laughs> goals a year, we are going to forgive some of the other mistakes that are taking place on the ice, just as we did with Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah. Vladdy was tough to play with for a lot of guys. His line mates didn't always enjoy being on a line with him. However... He produced. And so what did he do? He got the ice time. He got the power play time. He got the opportunities because the guy is an excellent hockey player. And so if Jordan Cairo starts putting the puck in the back of the net once again, like he did last year, and performs a little better in terms of his all-around game, you're going to see a lot of that. The other thing that I wanted to get to here in 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, to get involved in the show. This one comes from the 314. Guys, you somehow missed the fact that as sports media, you're the ones that drive the narrative. His no comment only turned into something because of your lack of substance on the show. Hard disagree. I was very disagree with that one. That no comment that he gave yesterday was going to become a massive story. No matter who picked up on it, no matter when it was said, how it was said, what the context in which it was said. Jordan Cairo gave a no comment when asked about his relationship with one of the most popular sports individuals, coach, executive, player, otherwise. And when you do that, this is going to be the reaction from a fan base that loved, loved Craig Berube. So, yeah, that was going to become a national, international storyline, no matter what. Especially when multiple players spoke about Craig Berube prior to to Jordan Cairo. That's the part that really hurt him. And that's not the media swaying it. It's you heard Braden Shen's comments. You heard Jordan Bennington's comments. Frankly, you heard Jake neighbors, comments morning skate that the blues put out there saying it sucks to see Craig Berube go. He was impactful in my career, but we're moving forward. And then you got the Jordan Cairo comments. And that's the part that I will hard disagree with because blues fans saw that tweet from Jeremy Rutherford and made up their mind of how it was, how they heard it in their heads. Because I did the same thing. I mean, it, also, I think it was fair to do. Absolutely, and I'm not, I'm not discrediting Blues fans. Like you have the emotional tie to a team. But when I read it, correct me if I'm wrong, BK. The first thing I did was, yeah, no comment. He's not my coach anymore. You said it with that tone. 
It's like a text message when you send to your girlfriend, right? Like, oh, what did you mean by this? No, there was no tone behind it. It was words. It could have meant no comment. He's not my coach anymore. And that's what he kind of made up at the end of the, not made up, but he made right at the post-game press conference. You could believe it. You can say it's fake, whatever you want to do, but he didn't have to do that. And he went out there and he made good on what he said. He was accountable. Yeah. We've been asking for accountability from this team all year long. And one of the very few opportunities to actually hold yourself accountable, Jordan Cairo did it. So I'll give him credit for that. And now it becomes a question of what comes next. T-Bone mentioned this to us earlier today. He's absolutely right. Yesterday should be viewed five years from now as the moment that changed Jordan Kyrou's relationship with St. Louis. Yep. And he gets to decide from here what that means. Does Jordan Kyrou go down as a villain in St. Louis, which is what can be the case if things don't get corrected? Or does he go down as a guy that had a bad moment and had a weird six months or so here in St. Louis? And then he held himself accountable, like we saw yesterday. He decided, I'm going to change some things. And he goes out there and makes himself into a better person, better player on and off the ice. He has an opportunity to do that. And this is not me saying he's got, like, issues off of the ice. He's young. He said something that I think he probably regrets. And said something that got him into hot water with the St. Louis Blues fans. And it should have. And now we all get to turn our attention to Saturday's game between the Blues and the Stars. And hopefully... He is somebody that goes out there and puts up a hat trick. From the 636, light the lamp and all you're going to hear is cheers. Exactly. You score a goal. There's not going to be booing taking place. You're going to score the goal. I mentioned Bannister. I'm very curious to see what his impact is going to be on this team. And Alex, I thought there was one thing in particular that he said yesterday that caught my attention on a change that he is likely to make. And I wonder what this means for the Blues moving forward. We'll get into that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It starts with me in practice. That's it. Like I, I it's very simple and direct. Uh, I expect teams in practice uh, to practice with pace. I expect execution, and when it's time to compete, that we compete. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, that was your banister yesterday, the new head coach of the St. Louis Blues, talking about what the practices are going to look like under him as the head coach. Alex, there was already a report that came out yesterday that it was a longer morning skate than what you're typically used to under Craig Berube. Normally, those were around 20 minutes. A lot of them optional, by the way. Uh, this one was like 45 minutes of a morning skate under Drew Bannister. And Alex, I want to be very clear up front. None of what I'm about to say is a shot against Craig Berube or a statement that he was the wrong coach or a bad coach. I've made my thoughts known on that. I think it was wrong to fire him. I don't think he was the problem. However, I do think sometimes change can lead to something that is good. And I do wonder, and this would be totally reasonable, if Craig Berube was more of a player-friendly coach towards the veterans, why giving optional skates, having shorter practices, having shorter morning skates, And all of that is so they're fresh during the games. This would make sense. He was an NHL player. He knows what the grind is like in an NHL season. It's tough. It's hard. The travel sucks. All of these different things take place. Bannister, meanwhile, seems like he's the kind of guy that's going to kind of shilty in this regard. I'm Uh going to clean up the fundamentals. (laughs) There there may be some philosophical differences. We'll see. But I'm going to make sure that if we lose, we don't lose because of our own mistakes. We lose because the other team was better. 
And I think that's something that if you're being totally honest right now, this team could use a little bit of that. So I will be curious to see, and it's so early. Yesterday wasn't a reflection of this. It was a 145-minute practice. He didn't just magically clean everything up in that. But <laughs> over the course of the next month or so, is that something we start to see implemented into their game on the ice? Yeah, I uh, I think Craig Berube may have fallen a little victim to his time in St. Louis where he had the veteran players that would be able to take accountability like we've talked about on the ice in games, but also on the ice in practices. And Craig Berube, the coach's job is to gauge the team and find out, you know, do they need some rest? Do they need a little bit more work? And this season was the first time that I can remember with Craig Berube that every morning skate prior to a game became an optional. The last few seasons, all the way back to when he took over, the morning skates were kind of that full practice, unless it was a back-to-back or unless it was three games and four nights and it felt like the Blues needed a day off. Morning skates typically were where they were worked out the kinks with the team, but a lot of that was because that was the veteran status. Even if they had an optional practice, you had all of the guys on the ice going out there to work because of where the Blues were at. And it's not like, let's clear this up, it's not as if a lot of teams are out there going an hour and morning skates. Morning skates are basically just to get your blood flowing. (laughs) And some of that hour morning skate was, like, Bannister wasn't there Wednesday for practice. So his first taste of the team was game day for a morning skate. And he's not going to show up to an optional skate and be like, all right, boys, let's go out there and play tonight so this was more of uh drew banister figuring out his team you know he's going to be able to get the pulse of this team talking with Braden shan and all of these leaders moving forward but i do think there's something there craig berube put such an emphasis on the practices and making sure you took advantage of that time and if you're drew banister you're not even touching this team yet with your schematics you still are wanting to let this thing sit so you can evaluate, and then when you feel like you're ready to step in and clean up some of the areas, that's where you do so. And the one thing with 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 um, Drew Bannister is when when he was in Springfield, they did the same system that Craig Berube and his staff did up here for the Springfield Thunderbirds. So right now he's letting it sit and then implement some of his ideas. I did find it interesting. There were a couple of things that we saw change last night, and it's like the stuff that you can actually do as a coach in game that was changed. Thought it was interesting the way that he played his defenseman. The ice time changed. Colton Pareko was on the ice for almost 23 minutes at five on five. He's only had one other game this season with more ice time at five on five than what he saw last night. That does not feel like a coincidence to me. As you would expect, his partner, Nick Letty, 22 minutes at five on five last night. Also, second highest ice time of the season for Nick Letty. If those guys are on the ice more, means other guys are on the ice less. Justin Falk, 1919 on the ice. That's top seven number for him this year. He was playing a lot. Meanwhile, Marco Scandella, 940 at 5-on-5. Bottom eight number this year. Tory Krug, 1450 on the ice at 5-on-5. That is not very much ice time for Tory Krug. Might have been by uh, design. Fifth lowest ice time at 5-on-5 so far this year for Tory Krug. And Tyler Tucker... Now, some of this is probably because he had a fighting major, but was in the penalty box for eight five minutes, minutes and 10 seconds. Second lowest <laughs> ice time on the season among the games that he has been played. So... He was very clearly trying to get the top pairing out there as often as possible to just eat a bunch of minutes. That makes a lot of sense. If I'm going to go down swinging, I'm doing so as an interim head coach with my best defensive pairing out there. The other thing that he did, Alex, and we will see if this is something that is able to continue, but it seemed as if he was almost doing like not line changes with just forwards or defense. He was like having the full five-man unit switching out entirely. It almost felt like there was a concerted effort to have the same five guys play together to like build chemistry together. So when your top line was on the ice 
it was almost always Colton Pareko and Nick Letty that was out there with them. When you had your second line on the ice, it was almost always Justin Falk and Tori Krug that were out there. When your fourth line was on the ice, almost always they were out there with Scandella and Tucker. That is not a coincidence, at least in night number one. I will be very curious to see if that is something that he continues to do. I don't know if it'll work, if it'll fail, if it's just somewhere in between. But I found it to be interesting that there were a couple of clear, tangible changes that we did actually see last night under Bannis. So I uh, I talked with Ryan Smith, the play-by-play man for the Springfield Thunderbirds, uh, yesterday for one of our intermissions and, you know, just asked him what to expect with a Drew Bannister. And the one thing that stuck out to me, he said, Drew Bannister loves to get his defensemen involved in the offense. He loves his guys to pinch in, loves his guys to contribute with the other three forwards that are going to work. Hence the Nick Letty pass that led to the Brandon Sod goal in the offensive zone. Krug and Falk both picking up assists in that game. I personally, at least just the first time looking at it, they did that for a reason. You, you go with your best shutdown defensive pair with maybe your most irresponsible line defensively in terms of Kairou Thomas and Buchnevich right. and not that they're irresponsible but maybe fresh line in terms of they're offensive minded you got somebody to stay at home you put Krug and Falk who are offensive minded defensemen who get a lot of shots on net with your two lines that have power forwards Kevin Hayes Braden Shen Oscar Sundquist Brandon Saad guys that park themselves in front of the net I want the guys that are going to score goals in front of the net those are the ones that need to be taking shots. And Perunovic, or not Perunovic, Tucker and Scandala, Perunovic when he's in, you're using those guys as little as possible because it's the third pair. So you're getting a lot of your top guys out there, which makes a ton of sense. But, I mean, this is what a lot of the top teams do. Colorado always plays Kale McCarr and Devon Taves with the Nathan McKinnon line. Toronto always plays Morgan Riley with the Austin Matthews line. Why? Because their offensive defensemen get the offense with the forward. So I think that's what at least Drew Bannister was getting the first glimpse of. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. A lot of it, just conceptually speaking, I, I get it. Yeah. And we'll see if that's something that continues. But I I wanted to so- see, like, okay, what are... What are the signs of actual changes here? A lot of it was just, hey, they, they played with urgency. Yeah. That's what you expect. That's not Drew Bannister doing that. That's the team that's responding team. to a firing. Yeah. Uh, the, the minutes, the time on ice, that's the kind of stuff that you can see. Okay, what, what's Bannister trying to accomplish here? The one other thing that we will be paying attention to is the power play. Mm-hmm. Because, Alex, that has been abysmal all season long. One yes, of the worst has. in the NHL. One of the worst that we've ever seen here in St. Louis. More shorthanded goals than power play goals. Not what you're looking for. So Bannister was asked Something's about hard. the power play prior to the game last night. Here's what he had to say about how they're going to change it and how it is going to get better. But I think the changes that we can make right now is getting our groups out on the ice and getting them more touches with no pressure and then getting them into situations in games. And when it opens up, it's gonna it's gonna help this hockey team. That's that's one main reason is is you know the power play's got to get better. We know that, uh, and I believe in this group. And and moving forward, it will be better for us. They're gonna get a bunch of touches on the ice. It goes back to the practice thing, man. I have not heard anything yet from Morning Skate, but I would imagine they got after it, or from practice today. I would imagine they got after it and. Uh, that's that's going to be the biggest change that takes place. It's going to mm-hmm. be about what they do, what the drills are, what the habits are whenever they're out there on the ice for practice. Um, and hopefully turns things around. They uh, they used Robert Thomas in the one time slot yesterday. 
Uh, and Robert Thomas took three one-timers. So if this power play is going to have success, watch for the one-timer because that's the one thing that they lacked. And now you've put at least Robert Thomas, who's not afraid to do it that way, you've put him in the position to, to start taking more shots there. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll get to our NFL weekend look ahead, the number one game we're looking forward to watching in the upcoming weekend, and what's the upset pick that you're watching for? We'll get into that in 15 minutes. One's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort service text line coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on BK and Ferrario. Alex, one's got to go Christmas movie edition. Oh, uh, yes. Elf, The Grinch, Home Alone, or Christmas Vacation. Which one's got to go? Okay, follow-up question, because I always have them. Which I'm Grinch? I'm just going to start turning your mic off. The Jim Carrey ones. Oh, no, that's got to go. What? That was a terrible Grinch. That was terrible. Either the cartoon old school one or the cartoon new one, but not okay. the Jim Carrey one. All of the other ones are great. Uh, if it would have been the, the the old school cartoon one, probably would have got rid of Home Alone. Really? Because I like Home Alone too. Christmas better than- Vacation is... I saw it for the first oh, time. So uh, good. I'm telling on myself here. I saw it for the first time two years ago. Oh, really? Fantastic wow. movie. It holds up. Yeah. I, I I actually think the second Home Alone is better than the first one. Okay. And then of That's course. That's in New York, yeah. right? And then yeah. of course, yeah, because they were the they were the I've sticky bandits. Asked, so I, I don't understand how you do it twice, but whatever. Neither here nor there. What are you talking about, man? They screwed up and allowed all of that to happen well, not once parents. but twice. I'm surprised nobody called Child Protective Services Correct. on on the the uh, the parents. Alex is right, by the way. It's the Grinch. No, it's not. Dude, that the Grinch Jim Carrey one sucks. It's good. No, it I is like way too one. long. It should no, not be as long no. as it is. What are you going with? Elf. I'm oh not big on Elf. Oh, my God. Not an Elf fan. Why? Is it because you get called an Elf? No, I just, I'm not one a fan of the, of the movie. One of the most quotable movies of our generation, and you are not a Dude. fan. Dude. Your generation. Okay. What are you, no, your Old generation. Guys. You're crazy. When did Elf come out? Was that 06-ish? Uh, I yeah. thought it was like oh, three. I was just saying I thought it was, was like early two thousand. You were two years old. Yeah, two dude, or my, three. Depending dude, my on two year old thinks Elf is funny. Well, because your two year old has better taste than T Bone. Yeah. All right, one's gotta go. Social media edition: Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, or Instagram. All of them. Snapchat. I've never used I, Snapchat. I, it, it, never speaking used of it. generations. This is a T Bone thing. I don't understand. Like. Hey, people your age use Snapchat instead of text messaging. It's, I don't understand. It was it. the loophole so you could see booby pics without Whoa, having to use the right. internet. Well, we that's what there. that's. I'm sorry, but is that I what Snapchat hit is for? Button. I'm sorry. No, America. I said I said that. It's fine. Uh, that's what Snapchat's for. That is so wrong, and that just shows how What's old Snapchat you are. What's Snapchat for? So I could take a picture of me driving in my car, and you could see it for ten seconds. I'm a duck face guy. Okay, you, of course. You totally are a duck face you guy. You duck face. I'm you assuming know, like, you're going Insta. No, I'm like going Twitter. I, yeah, I'm not like big on Twitter. Guy. Mostly because I can't figure out why mine's broke. But <laughs> I, I, 
You like how he's I, I the mean, Facebook I, guy, though, like us. My, my mom, my dad, they love Facebook. Meemaw yeah, loves Facebook. I truly am not a fan of any social media, but I I would get rid of Twitter for sure. All right, one's got to go egg preparation edition. What? Sunny side up, over easy, scrambled, or poached. Poached what, eggs are poached. gross. What poached, poached eggs are disgusting. Just say poached. I'll say poached. It's disgusting. One's got to go AFC contender edition. Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, or Bills. I'm going Dolphins here. I don't think that they can win in January when the weather gets cold. I Why? Because they play in Miami? Yeah, because of the way that their team is structured. <laughs> where's they the, don't Super, have a good where's the Super Bowl line? this year? Uh, LA? No. Oh, Vegas. No. Vegas. It's in Vegas. Oh, okay. They can win in Vegas if they get to the Super Bowl. I'll say the Dolphins. I don't think they're that good of a team. Somebody, I think if by they... the way, asked if Randy's followed BK yet. No. <laughs> on any platforms? Somehow he was oh, able to find me. Does followers. he follow you on Instagram or Facebook? I would assume not. Randy follows me on Facebook, and all of Randy's friends friend Randy me on now Facebook. update on this follows 7037 people and on, somehow uh, i'm one of them and i don't <laughs> yeah i'm one of you them you can't too. find my account on well, twitter I mean, you're one of them because he follows st louis well, uh, well, obvi- well he doesn't follow kansas not. city so it makes sense <laughs> sure that makes T-bone. a lot of sense uh which afc contenders got to go get rid of the chiefs i'm tired of them i'm tired of hearing him cry about tony lining up off you got bad blood I do have bad blood i was just about to mention the t-swift thing too do so you just do you I'm just want to let your picture of them burn I don't know that reference. I'm assuming it's a Taylor Swift song. Swift song, man. Uh, final thing here. One's got to go fruit flavor edition. Oh. Apple, banana, strawberry, or peach. Um, like so, like the flavoring that you put with them, because it's it's a tie between banana and peach. Nothing, nothing, banana or peach flavor tastes Artificial good. Artificial banana is disgusting. Oh, it's oh, awful, I think it's, oh, I think it's. Have decent. you ever had a banana candy that you like, the hard candies? Oh, oh, those are the uh, worst. Oh, like laffy taffy. That no, is good. No, Grant. What are those called? Grant the the runts. You called me Grant. I was no, like, Grant eats those runts. Though you know, like that are shaped yeah. like the fruit. Grant eats those, and I'm like, this is disgusting, Grant. Yeah, it's banana flavor. But like peach flavored, still pretty nasty. I'm, but bananas are the worst. I heard apple flavor. I don't like apple flavored stuff. Like I like apples, but I don't like like a flavoring. And look, I worked at the Sodi oh shop, which I had all these apple. flavors that could go into anything. I could get behind like a peach tea, a strawberry tea, banana something, like a banana snow cone specifically. Mm. Oh, that's disgusting. You want a yellow apple snow stuff? cone? Oh, apple stuff? No, that's thanks. disgusting. I'm out. He just said banana snow cone. Coming up, oh, nothing I could think of. Banana Sprite's good. What? Banana Sprite. You ever there had that? Is no, no. no, there is nothing Should go called... visit the old Sody shop in Olney, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> the NFL weekend look ahead is next. Tell them who sent you. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Alongside Alex and T Bone, I'm BK. Let's get into some NFL weekend look ahead. Alex, let's start out with the obvious question. What's the game you're going to be sitting in front of your television to watch this weekend? Just took place. You can place. only watch one. Which one is it? So it just took place. The Raiders and Chargers. Oh, we got to get into that real quick. No, no. I watched my game of the week. Chargers fired their head coach yesterday or this morning after they lost 63 to 21 against the Las Vegas Raiders. It was deserved. That guy stinks. Brandon Staley's terrible at his job. They're, they're going to hire Bill Belichick, right? Yep. 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 Okay. They got interims on both the head coach and GM. And guess what? Chargers are like, we so can both cover one. these with one guy. Um, I said the other day, it's going to be too expensive unless you can fill two of those positions with one guy. What? I never true? said that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, we heard that. it. Uh, I'm not going to pick the obvious one here. What? 
I'll say the game I'm looking forward to watching is Dolphins and Jets. And here's why. Because I'd like to learn that the Dolphins are not a good team when Tyreek Hill's not there. Because Tyreek Hill, first of all, that's going to prove to everybody that he should be the MVP when the Dolphins lay an egg against the Jets. And second of all, we're going to learn that this team's not really a Super Bowl contender. So I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'm going to take the obvious. I'm going to take the Cowboys and Bills. That wasn't even the obvious one. Well, I guess... I don't know about Jags Ravens. I don't I don't trust either team. I don't really trust anybody, but I want to know what Josh Allen looks like against the Cowboys defense because he's been playing a little bit better recently and they seem to become the trendy pick to get into the playoffs. Josh Allen lays an egg against this great defense. That trendy pick goes back to panic mode in Buffalo pretty quickly. I do think that is the game going into the weekend. If I was going to pick another one, I would go Ravens versus Jaguars. It's the Sunday night football game. Uh, Ravens are three and a half point favorite in this one. And I think that feels low. If the Ravens are as good as everybody believes them to be, I, I would expect them to be a slightly bigger favorite in this one against the Jaguars. Jaguars defense is so bad, man. And their offense is now hemorrhaging their weapons. So I think the Ravens win this one pretty big if they're the team that everybody is expecting them to be. I just frankly don't know that they are. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jaguars actually kind of punch up and end up winning that game. That's why I'm so interested in watching it. The upset that you believe that we will see this weekend, Alex, we do have a disclaimer on this. It's got to be at least a three-point underdog. Who is it for you? Oh, man. I'm going to go back. I'm going to back the team that uh, I bet on, and I'm going to say the Buccaneers upset, even though they're probably not the upset pick since they're on the road and it's plus three and a half. I think the Buc- upset. I think the Buccaneers clearly beat the Green Bay Packers. They're the better team. They're at the top of their division, and frankly, they still need to play well to keep their playoff hopes alive. So I think they'll be the ones that pull off the upset. I like that one. I, I could see the Giants doing it against the Saints. Uh, the best one for content purposes would be the Chiefs losing, just to hear BK oh, and the Chiefs fans. Uh, the one that I think will happen, though, and I think BK took this game, if I remember correctly, in our pick I could see the Panthers beating the Falcons. I mean, when you got Desmond Ritter at quarterback, you're capable of hey, losing any game. He's been good lately. He's no, helped my he still team. stinks. So I could see Carolina winning their second and only their second game of the year. They won't win anymore after this. I could see them beating Atlanta. I so don't I've trust a Atlanta. that I think are pretty interesting. Uh, the Broncos at the Lions, I think, totally beat uh, Detroit. Detroit is yeah, really struggling right suck. now. Their defense is terrible. I think that the Broncos defense could keep that one close. I fully expect the Lions to win, but man, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that team any longer. So I could see the uh, Broncos winning that one. The Jets against the Dolphins mentioned it earlier today. I don't have the guts, the cojones to pick that one, but I could see it. Jets defense has been outstanding, even with how bad the offense has been. You've seen moments this year where Zach Wilson looks good. It's moments. It's individual games, but... You could see it in this one, and if they're without Tyree Kill or if he's super limited going into this one, A-Chain is expected to be limited going into this one, and they're without six linemen potentially, I-, I could see that one as being one that we're underestimating. And then the one that I mentioned earlier, I could totally see the Jags at home, Sunday night football, massive game for them against the number one team in the AFC. I could see them beating Baltimore. Can I give you another one? Sure. I could see the Seahawks beating Philadelphia. Well, that's on Monday, but yeah. Well, I just, I, I if Geno Smith plays, Philadelphia secondary sucks. And I could see Geno Smith having his way with them and it being a high-scoring game. I could see Seattle doing that one and everyone wondering what Philadelphia is. All right, continuing along with our NFL weekend look ahead. Who's the team with the most to gain with a win this weekend? I'm going to go first if you guys don't mind. The Buffalo Bills, once again. Yep. If they win this game against the Dallas Cowboys, it will officially be time to take them seriously as a playoff threat. Not just a team to get into the postseason, but a team that should be expected to make the playoffs. 
And then we'll see what they decide to do once they get in there, man. They would be capable of beating anybody in this AFC field, as we just saw last week, on the road at Kansas City. I don't expect them to win. I would be picking the Dallas Cowboys to win that game straight up. However, the Bills prove capable and they're favored, surprisingly enough. This will be the game that ends up getting us back on board, I believe. I'm actually going to pick the Chicago Bears. Um... Because I think Chicago is better than both Green Bay and Minnesota. And if they beat the Cleveland Browns, they have a case to be the second best team in the NFC North to get into a playoff spot. Because then you're fighting against the Falcons. They've got the better quarterback. You're fighting against the Rams. They've got the better quarterback. Who does? Yeah, the Bears do. No, they do not. Yeah, they do. There's no chance Wait, that Fields is to a get better quarterback. Yeah. It's, it's really hard for them. It would be hard. Mathematically but in terms of at least keeping you alive, look at their schedule the rest of the way. The Cardinals, the Falcons, and the, and the Packers. You win the you can win against the Browns. You pick up three more victories. You're talking about nine wins. Nine wins. Yeah, I mean it. And they do not have a better quarterback than the Rams. Stafford yeah, is significantly better. Uh, they're four than and five Fields. in conference games, so they're right there. Uh, you may, pick maybe. up nine victories. That's more than the Rams are going to have. That's more than any of the teams in the NFC South are going to have in terms of the wild card spot. I don't know if it's more than the Rams are going to have. The Rams have Washington, New Orleans, and New York as their next three games. Yeah, I, I think the Rams are going to get to nine. I don't miss. buy into the Rams. And a better quarterback. Agreed. No, they're Agreed. not. They've got a good offense. He's I, old and washed I up. I like the Bears. I think they've been interesting. Their defense has been playing much better over the last four weeks. We also have to acknowledge that the Detroit Lions have not been good over the last four weeks, and Carolina was one of their other big wins. And then the other one was Minnesota, when Minnesota had no idea what better was happening quarterback. to their offense. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't know. I think the obvious one is the Bills, but to go just different from it, I actually was looking at the Browns because a win here, they're probably solidified for a playoff spot. They're at nine wins. Did you wins. learn anything if they beat the Bears? I mean, apparently this guy's telling me about Justin Fields being better than freaking Matthew Stafford. Uh, he is this Which season. is insanity. Matthew um, Stafford is old and washed up. No. I can't believe neither of you picked the Jaguars. I just I, I don't, don't trust the Jaguars. Like even know, if they beat if Baltimore, they were, if we guaranteed, if we locked it in, the Jaguars win Sunday night. We're gonna be talking about them as a contender on no. Monday. Sure, and then we're, it's full gold, is what it is. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna be talking about it being in a playoff spot, but they're gonna lose in the first I, round I of the, the playoffs. I honestly believe the only team to really gain anything is Buffalo. That's right. And I just was trying to go different, and that's why I said Cleveland because I think a win, they pretty much locked themselves into a playoff spot, in my opinion. Last one is the inverse of what we just asked. Who's the team with the most to lose this weekend? If they were to lose their game, you'd be looking at them saying to yourself, what in the hell? Is it the Detroit Lions? No, mine's the Chiefs. Okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Lose to the Packers. No, that's totally fair. And then you, the the defense that is the Patriots that has been good this season, but shut you down. Yeah, welcome to you're not even a playoff team. That's fair. I, I really like that one. I, I would go Rams because I think they should beat Washington. But they I think their, well defense, their defense seven. has too many. <laughs> Justin Fields would because Justin Fields has, is a better quarterback. Not. He would blank the bed. Um, I think I, he beat them already this season. They lose to Washington. Their their playoff hopes are done and because they have to basically win their next three, Washington, New Orleans, and then the Giants, and then just pray San Francisco is resting everybody to get into the playoffs. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by... By the way, Justin Fields, four touchdowns, almost 300 yards against Washington. Washington Dobbs, Dyer and Auto Centers. <laughs> That's Alex Ferrario. Good He's luck, Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you go over there and check out the podcast page, you'll see our conversation with Bruce Boudreau, who may be the next Blues coach or might not be. We also talked to Mike Rupp. That's all up there. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.